0: warning this podcast features adult subject matter adult language and things not meant for children to hear viewer discretion is advised you've been warned welcome back ladies and gentlemen to another episode of the i'm no joe podcast the place where every armchair quarterback can feel like an eddie bravo Today, like most days, we have got a nice little round table together here of gentlemen to discuss some MMA happenings with you. We may have a few more pop in, we may not, you know how some of those slackers can be. But to kick it off, let's go around the room here real quick. Nick Devine, thank you for coming, sir.
1: Yep, thanks for having me. Um Nick Divine and Dot Divine on Instagram and YouTube. And thanks for having me. Can't wait to get talking.
0: Absolutely. Down in the other corner here, we have the one, the only, The Golf Tee Vapes. TJ, how you doing, brother? Thanks for having
2: me. I'm ready to get at this. It was a hell of an exciting year. Ready to get down to business, talk some shit, and come up with some crazy fucking ideas that might blow some people's minds if I'm lucky.
0: Yeah, you know how <laughs> it goes down on the show sometimes. <laughs> and then, last but certainly not least, the young pup on the crew, the man with the plan. RJ, how you doing, brother?
3: Ah, uh, not too bad, man. Just good to be here again. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun time tonight.
0: Glad to have you, brother. Glad to have you. So, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what is going to be next week's first UFC card of 2019, UFC Brooklyn, Saadudo versus Dillashaw. There's a couple of other events that have been going on in the industry here that we want to take a little bit of time to have a little discussion about here. So before we get into the funny stuff, there's just a couple things I want to touch on real quick here. The first thing I want to talk about for just a moment here, because they literally just announced it yesterday and I am extremely excited to talk about is going to be the high rollers BJJ tournament Pittsburgh. So for the uninitiated, The High Rollers is a both gi and no gi, submission-only Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappling tournament system based entirely around cannabis. They call it Mixed Marijuana Arts. Now, it's not a requirement that you be super enthusiastic, but they do require that every competitor smoke before and on occasion during the matches. So this is one of the most free-flowing, most creative, most chill-relaxed, but also technically impressive Brazilian jiu-jitsu event series that I have ever seen in my life. I would akin it to the EBI combat jiu-jitsu tournaments, but stoned as shit because these boys are just chiefing like a Cheech and Chong movie the entire time, and everyone watching and not competing is also generally smoking. So it is literally the best of the best, the highest of the high-ranking, BJJ practitioners in the world come to either to coach or compete in these events, and you get to see some of the purest and cleanest, also most technically savvy, jujitsu moves pulled off by guys who just got done roasting their brain on Fat Bubba Kush. This is not only one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen as an MMA and a martial arts fan, just some of the creativity that these events inspire it's almost speech deducing because you see moves that you'll never get to see in an MMA octagon. You won't get to see this shit pulled off in the UFC or in Bellator because this is stuff that in reality in an MMA cage, you'd be getting your face pounded in or getting kicked in the fucking thigh while you're trying to sink something up. But in a submission only, you don't have to worry about that stuff because there's no strikes. It's just pure jujitsu so the creativity of some of the moves and on the counterpoint some of the escapes that you see from submission moves during events like this are just off the charts and i've talked about it a little bit before but i'm wondering if any of you guys have seen any of these high roller events before
1: no i've never seen one before i'm interested to watch it though i've heard a lot about the uh how them two cultures are always intertwined and it's it's very interesting i i'd like to see it and it's very close to me too
0: it is it is that's also one of the reasons i wanted to mention it yeah
1: yeah so that's pretty awesome i'm right in philly and it's in pittsburgh right
0: pittsburgh march 30th Yeah. yeah
1: yeah that's pretty cool
0: definitely something i've heard
2: of before never had a chance to witness the event myself uh i'd like to see how it works out compared to a traditional gi gi competition that doesn't include the extracurricular which i think is fucking awesome Is right. um little mind bending um goes a long way with a lot of bo- body bending that's all i'm saying exactly <laughs> so it it could be really cool to watch would love to see that um probably gonna have to figure out a way to watch it in one way shape or form even on a replay just to see how it goes down because i think it would be definitely something to behold
0: well and the high rollers tournament uh, i guess it would be the production crew or production company has a youtube page and they've got the previous two events highlights and then in, in complete form the entire event from their cameras that they had set up they actually stream it live on their own youtube channel for free and then they broke it down into segments afterwards so you can watch the individual matches if you just want to see one particular part or watch the block and watch the whole thing start to finish so i encourage anybody that hasn't seen it yet take a little bit of time and and troll around on their youtube it's beautiful some of the matches are just mind-blowing
3: Yeah, I, I haven't I, I I haven't heard of a high rollers thing in like seven eight months now. And I watched I watched the one of the first ones of twenty eighteen. That was pretty interesting. I'm yeah, kind of kind in, of excited. In
0: San Jose.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. I didn't yeah, I, I didn't know they did any other ones in uh, twenty eighteen though. That's yeah, they be, did, they fun. had one
0: in September, and uh, one of the highlight matches was Daniel Strauss's return to competition. And his match, those boys, they were quick and they were slick. And the whole time your jaws just in your lap going, oh, he just, oh, and then he, but he just he, he. you feel like a little kid watching your first sports event, man. You're just, they're so quick and they're so smooth and it's so like technically accurate. It's you're literally watching like real high level jujitsu practitioners higher than giraffe pussy going at it.
3: I mean, my thing is, I just want to know what strains they're, they're like, able to pick from. That'd be interesting to put to the
0: public. Oh, they they talk about it a lot. A a lot of the the suppliers for the events are there putting out big boots, and then uh, most of the prizes for the the actual competitions were, like, uh, one of them was, like, 10 grand in cash and, like, three pounds of fucking, like, Bubba Kush. One of them was, like, $5,000, and then, like... Uh, a, a certificate for like a whole new D lineup and then a weight set and then like a pound of weed. Like, yeah, they're, it's very incorporated. They're, they're very open and detailed about it. It's pretty interesting. Shit.
3: That's interesting. I know that.
0: It's, it's one of those things that brings a lot of things that I love in my life together into one convenient place for me. So I was very intrigued when I first found out about it and the more that I've looked into it the more that I've watched it and, the the crew themselves will interact with you like i said they stream their shit live and they talk in the chat to you they're willing to talk with people they're real down to earth they're cool folks it's it's really a cool thing i'm really i'm really happy that it's really taken off and starting to get its grasp in the community here but from that we will scoot right along here to the next little side note that i want to talk about because this doesn't have anything to come up to do with this coming up weekend in brooklyn this doesn't have anything to do with what we're going to talk about here in just a little bit what i want to talk about is some of the announcements that have come out during this last week pertaining to the lineup of what is going to be the ufc 235 card so i've got a little infographic over here i'm going to try and crop it and put it into the video here when it's when it's all said and done. So you guys will see this in the finished product, but uh, what I'm looking at here, and I'm just going to run it from the top of the main event down to the main event itself here. So what it looks like we're going to be opening with is Mickey Gall versus Diego Sanchez. Then we're going to Neil Magny versus Jorge Masvidal. Then we've got Holly Holm, fighting Aspen Ladd at 135. Aspen Ladd is coming up, and she's dangerous. Then we've got OSP stepping back in against Serkankov. That dude has got steel hands, and OSP needs to be very careful against him. Then one that has got me very interested, because it is definitely going to shake up the division in one way or another here, little heathen Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit however he says his last name that took Joe Rogan three months to figure out how to say. The following fight after that,
4: <laughs>
0: Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. You want to talk about, talk about a fucking striking battle? Cody wants to call himself a striker. That's a man who's going to put you to the fucking test for it. So then comes the match that TJ and I have been anticipating for several months now. And I'm not sure why they made it to be this one, but it is this one. Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. Askren making his debut in the UFC after the trade with one FC for Mighty Mouse. Then we've got a dual title defense for the main and co-main events of 235. The co-main event is going to be Tyron Tyquill Woodley versus Kumari 30% Usman for the 170 belt. That has got interesting ramifications and a lot of different discussion that we're going to be having when we get closer to that match. But then comes the one that was just added the day before yesterday that I find extremely, extremely appropriate and interesting at the same time. And that is John Jones's first title defense at 205 against Anthony Lionheart Smith. Anthony Smith is on a fucking tear and I don't know anyone else in that division that deserves the title shot more than him. But stylistically, that's gonna be one hell of a matchup because those two dudes are very similar. They're very closely sized. And some of the techniques that they both use it's going to be interesting to see how they can switch it up or incorporate it to make it work against a style so similar to their own. But we've got months to get out and to talk about that one. What I want to get into first here is since this is the first show that we're doing in 2019, what I want to do to really put our first meat and potato subject down here, get a good roundtable discussion talked about, what I wanted to talk about, and I gave all these guys heads up to get a little bit of their own decisions. I want to talk about our top three most important or most influential fights of 2018. And now I want to clear this up for the for the listeners and the viewers. I don't mean your personal favorite fights of 2018. I mean the most important to the MMA world or the most influential to the UFC itself. So I'm going to hold mine in reserve. I'm going to go last here for a change. I'm going to let RJ give us our first three top fights of 2018. What do you say, brother?
3: Dang. Okay.
0: Uh, Well,
3: I have a couple written down. One, that's not really influential, but it is to the fighter because he was kind of concerned with with himself getting up in age and still being a fighter in mixed martial arts. It was the uh, Yoel Romero fight with uh, uh, Whitaker. Whitaker too. He was concerned with, with, with himself getting up in age, and that was something that kind of became prevalent in the fight with him getting a, a knocked out. Uh, he was concerned with himself getting up in age. It's not really something that was big for the ufc but i see it big for the personal fighter itself so that's something that i want, not I, I did wanted to to add in
0: well and then to uh, his credit he also rocked whitaker and almost put yeah. whitaker out during that fight before the tides changed as well so i'm not yeah. the biggest ul romero fan in the world but i will gladly give props where props are due and for a 40 year old man that dude's yeah. still scary 41. as shit. Yeah, forty one now, that's right. He's still scary as shit.
3: He that, that was his first fight after he turned twenty one or forty one. He turned forty one like a month and a couple of days before the fight. Yeah. He was very concerned with his age. And then I mean one that I don't feel like I couldn't put it down because of just the the cockiness of the fighters was the Khabib versus Connor fight because the, the overall cockiness between fighter to fighter. Like I can't, I, 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 I couldn't, I, like that was one that I had to put on. There's cocky motherfuckers.
5: Absolutely.
3: And, the cock, the, and the more cocky one got put into its place. Connor got fucked by a rear naked choke. And, uh, uh, oh, the Ronaldo-Weidman fight. I wanted to put that one on as well, because that was, that, that was a fight that I really look forward to when they first announced that they were going to do that fight. I really look forward to that, because Weidman, being on a rampage that he, that he was at that, at that point of, the, of 2018... And then just Ronaldo, Souza just drop him.
0: Jacare is nothing to overlook, man. Yeah. <laughs> any, any capacity. Jacare is always dangerous from everywhere.
3: Yeah. Those are my three, though.
0: That's a good three, man. That's a damn good three. So, TJ, what do you got for a top three, brother?
2: Well, uh, I had a – Kind of a toss-up for what order I wanted to put them in, so I'm not gonna leave them in any in particular order. Uh because I had a couple that were kind of close um toss-ups. But the first one I'm gonna start with is Frankie Edner, Brian Ortega.
0: Damn good fight.
2: Um more than one reason for this fight. One fantastic fight to start with, but two. Ortega, first one to ever put Frankie away.
0: Absolutely. And that was a fucking strikes. historic moment, too, because I don't big know anyone uppercut. that saw it. it. I don't know anyone that watched that fight and saw that coming. No, Frankie's a fucking master, and that was just awe-inspiring.
2: You know, looking at that fight, what I thought was going to happen was he was going to end up tapping, not sleeping.
0: Likewise, I thought I thought Ortega was going to try and strike early and then realize it wouldn't work, and he was going to try and take it to the ground and end up submitting Frankie. That's the way then I saw it as well.
2: The third point to this fight, it set up a fight to show just how fantastic of a fighter Max Holloway is. Absolutely. Because he beat the brakes off of Ortega. I love Ortega. T-City, I got all love in the world for him. Fantastic. He's getting better and getting better. He's nowhere near the level of fucking Holloway right now. Obviously, there's nobody in the division that is because Ortega tore through those motherfuckers.
0: Fuck yes, he did. Quickly, too.
2: I'm just saying that fight for what happened during the fight and what it set up to prove to the world that Holloway is the best fucking featherweight out there. In fact, I would lay 10 to 1 odds right now. I know it's not going to happen, but if it did, him and Connor, Connor's going to fucking sleep. And, and I will say that because Holloway has improved so much and he stayed active where, don't get me wrong, I love watching Connor talk trash, but in that case, you're just going to end up fucked. I
0: it, or, I hate to admit it because I am a very, very big Connor fan as well, but I, I absolutely have to agree with you. The, the progress that Max has made since he and Connor first fought is – leaps and bounds above anyone else in that division absolutely undeniably and i think realistically the the way that connor still fights today or the way that connor has adapted to fight today versus the way that max has adapted to fighting today i don't think connor could take him this time
2: nope not at all
0: oh, No,
2: that, that one bit. <laughs> it does because i like connor but yep. i think it's more i like his fucking
1: attitude and plus yeah. he has a way better gas tank how uh how away does. Yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely.
2: absolutely. He, he, he just fucking run the bike on him. He pulled the old Mayweather there and just ride right. the bike around on him. Yep. Um no, that was one of them. Um the other one here is gonna throw people a little bit because it's not a big fight and it didn't have a lot of drastic change for anything, but it did one of my favorite things. It shut somebody the fuck up that I really can't stand. And that match was pretty recent here. Rajin, Al Iaquinta, and Kevin Lee. I can't stand Kevin Lee's shit-talking ass. I'm going to say that right now. Kevin Lee, you are a good fighter. You've made it into the UFC. But your alligator mouth still overloads your canary ass all the fucking time it just took you to get back in there with al and prove that you really have not improved your game at all you were just fighting lower class opponents and getting lucky period Um, Mm -hmm. this this brings me to this other fantastic point with al that was prior to this the al versus khabib fight al should not have been in there versus khabib last five rounds with him goes the decision this was one of my honorable mentions because that proves Khabib is very fucking beatable. When you got a guy that goes in there that's training for a three round fight, not training for him and can last all five rounds and stuff. takedowns repeatedly, Repeatedly. I'm just saying fucking ally Quinta is moving on to another level. There was a, there was a year or two about a year and a half ago where Al said, you know what, I'll fight when I want to fight. I've got a successful business, flipping houses. Now he wants to fight, and he's going in there, and he's kicking ass and taking names. Yes, he lost the Khabib fight, but he took that man the fucking five rounds. Nobody else has come close to doing that. So that tells me when it finally happens, and God, I can't wait for it to happen. And it better happen. Tony Ferguson and Khabib. Khabib is fucked. Tony is going to walk a mud hole dry in him. That's Absolutely. just how that's
4: going
0: to work. Absolutely.
2: Okay. And Al Iaquinta proved it. That's all I'm saying. So Al beating the piss out of Kevin Lee, shutting that motherfucker up, giving him a little dose of humble pie, fan-fucking-tastic, and just proving. Al is someone to be reckoned with. Doesn't matter who he's fighting. Yep, he might wonderful. not win, but he's gonna. they're going to know they were in a fucking fight. That's for sure.
0: Well, and the thing that a lot of people forget about that Al versus Khabib fight. Al took that fight on 20 hours notice. Yeah, 20 hours. That's right. Not even a single day. He took it on 20 hours notice. And then took Khabib to a full decision. Five rounds and stuffed Takedown after fucking takedown after takedown. And stung him with quite a few good shots. So imagine what an Al on a full fucking camp could do against Khabib. I I agree completely. I think when they put Tony and Khabib together finally, which is destined to happen here, Tony is going to beat the brakes off of Khabib. And then when Khabib has to start his trail back to the top to get his belt and they throw him to Al, I think Al is going to drop Khabib right back down those rankings to about the middle of the pack where he really should be.
2: Yep. That way he can't wrestle fuck his way to the top anymore.
0: Exactly.
2: But that is what it is he is that kind of fighter they, you know I can't say anything it, whatever works I get it it's not interesting to watch because we all know what you're going to do you're going to dry hump them until they fucking get um, drug rash <laughs> I get it
0: well and and it's not not a secret that I am not a Khabib fan. I have not been a Khabib fan. I don't enjoy watching wrestle fuckers on the mat. That's one of the reasons I don't like Cormier. I'm not the biggest Cain Velasquez fan in the world and I know that's not a, a popular opinion, but I think there should be more skill to your game than just being able to hold a guy down until he runs out of options for you. That just it's a one trick pony scenario in my in my point of view. But I will give credit where credit is due in the Khabib case here. He sticks to that policy that is do what got you to the dance. And what got him to the UFC is holding dudes down until they fucking run out of energy and then either submitting them or punching them until the fucking ref stops. And to his credit, he still is doing that just as much and to just as strong of an extent as he has been the progress of his entire career. So, I mean, I'll give him that, I guess
2: yeah <laughs> can't take it away from him i guess i understand that right right and all that brings me down to one last one and this one i, I think they should have made everybody's top list period uh because jones versus gustavson to period why because there's only two words that need to be said about this fight we all know how it went down it was a fantastic fight Good to watch, but there's only two true words that
0: need to be said. Daddy's home. Damn right. I thought you were going to just... say pictogram, but that works too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it fucking daddy is home and back to running the division. I'm I'm for a lack of better terms, I'm cautiously optimistic.
0: Yes, I think that's a good phrasing.
2: Um because I really, really, really hope fucking John has got his shit together. I love John Bones John. Even with the terrible, stupid decisions he's fucking made.
0: Yes, repeatedly.
2: It, on more than one occasion. I get it. Um, you are young, dumb, full of cum. Okay. It is what it is. You're to that point in your, you're now past the twenties. Please fucking adult you're a fantastic fighter don't fuck it up for those of us who really want to watch you i get it there's a lot of people who are gonna say you're a cheater this that look that's already gone through the rigorous role there they've already proved it was not a purposeful ingestion so you know what i'm gonna oh, this is gonna sound so dirty i'm gonna side with you sada to say yeah you weren't dirty, it was inadvertent, which is why you only took a minimum sentence. However, pay attention to what you're putting in your fucking body. Don't fuck up again for us. Don't do fucking drugs and drive cars anymore. Yes. Just, just fucking focus on fighting, beating the brakes off of people, and somehow getting in there to beat DC's ass one more time, but beat him so mercilessly, he'll never think about ever fucking stepping into the octagon again i want you to break his face his fucking arms and maybe if you beat him enough he'll get skinny
1: uh-huh. yeah, yeah i think only that,
0: so he gets back to that pop yeah.
1: i think the key is is to just keep scheduling them fights right away like they just did like i think if he has them scheduled fights as long as he stays you know good with usada he's good but stay active that's just you know He's got that personality, but that's also why everybody likes him. Is because everybody likes a good, like, comeback story. Everybody likes that. Like, as much as, yes, he's a fuck-up. We want to see him do good. Everybody wants to see him do good.
0: Fuck yeah, Everybody's
2: in you know? DC. Yeah. <laughs> this, this fight was one I had to put on there, because there was two other, there was two other fucking um fights that I had to put on there as well, but list only being three i couldn't so i'm just gonna throw the other two honorable mentions out there that i had for this um one changed the face of the ufc in my opinion forever dj versus cejudo Hmm. is that with dj losing the title i have this really strange feeling especially with the cejudo dillashaw fight that's about to happen they're going to nix an entire division DJ was what kept that together. And to be honest, a split decision like that, I didn't – it was a toss-up. I I would have hated to be a judge during that fight. I get it. But that, I think, is going to change the entire face of the UFC. I have this fucking just sneaking suspicion that this fight, depending on how it goes, will completely remove that division. If Cejudo goes in there and gets his ass handed to him, which I'm pretty sure he's going to – they're probably going to nix that division because they're saying, guess what? You guys aren't going to be able to come up and make super fights or anything like that. So, and if Hudo wins, they're going to go, oh, guess what? You can all come up fucking 10 pounds and fight in this division because if Cejudo can beat the champ there. You guys can too. So either way it goes, I have a feeling they're going to nix it. And the other one is a must. Cyborg and Nunes. This was my other honorable mention i couldn't put it on top because it doesn't really change the face of women's mma except for it solidifies it right which is ronda rousey was never the face of women's mma yes she got it to the point where it is but she was never the face of it
5: she
2: was a pioneer pioneer. it's kind of like watching um randy couture he was a pioneer one of those guys who up to get it to where it was but she was never the face that face is amanda fucking Nunat you know what
0: for now she, she
2: oh you know not just i'm gonna say not just for now she will be for a long time namely because of the way she, she beside borg awake
1: two two legends in under a minute at like to what what people yeah. see two female legends in under a minute
0: yeah actually three you're correct
1: 3 Misha. what's the third?
0: Misha. Oh shit. Misha. She retired yeah. Ronda, then she retired Misha, then she just could you, imagine,
1: could you imagine? Could you imagine she fight Tali home and beat her? That would be crazy.
0: I'm just saying at the
2: at the re- route she's going and tearing people up. They'll be lucky to have anybody come in and blow the roof off the building like she's doing. Nobody thought it was going to happen with Rousey until fucking well, he fucking got her head kicked off by holly holm holly holm star never blew up the, the way it could have well, namely because well, she couldn't string anything together After
0: yeah i was gonna say that was more holly's fault than the ufc's fault though
2: but you look at amanda she's stringing shit together and she's progressively getting better
0: i um, would agree with that to a degree the asterisk that i would put on mm-hmm. that point would be valentina shevchenko If you go back and watch either one of their fights, and I realize that in both situations, the judges in the decision, which both of those fights went to a decision, both of those decisions were given to Amanda. But if you go back and watch that fight in either case with an outside perspective, no bias, don't listen to the commentary, put the shit on mute and watch both of those fights, Valentina handled Amanda both times. And now Valentina has taken over the 125 division, but plans to go back and fight at 135 again. So if Amanda decides to keep defending that 135 belt and Valentina can figure out what she did wrong to not be able to finish the previous two fights that in my opinion, she won both of, and she can change that up enough, Valentina can have that 125 and then take that 135 belt and force Amanda to only have 145 to hide out in. And the fact that there's somebody with that much potential and that much history with her, in my opinion, keeps Amanda from being the face of women's MMA.
2: Like, like I said, I'm, I'm... It's hard to not call her that right now. Double champ. Well,
0: and as That's what right. I said, I'm, uh, far be it from me to take credit from anyone where credit is due. I Whether I like them as a fighter or not, I will give props where props are due. And she handled Cyborg like serious fucking business with no playtime. And for that you can't fucking help but give her mad respect because and, you've seen what cyborg's done to everyone else.
2: And she took a shot from Cyborg and she walked did. through it.
0: Yep, she cyborged she did. Cyborg.
2: Yeah, she fucking just and put herself to sleep. That's all that's why I'm saying that one has to be an honorable mention for the year because in my Absolutely. opinion like, right now Absolutely. she is definitely in the face. Don't get me wrong. Shevchenko handled Joanna. Yep. Handled her. But,
0: well, just, but, but that, that's my entire argument, though, is that we saw Joanna get handled by Valentina, and on the other end of that spectrum, she went five rounds and three rounds in their first match with Amanda, and you just saw what Amanda did to Cyborg. So if you MMA math that out, Valentina should be able to do that to Cyborg just as easily, which means how good is Valentina really, because she just did that to Joanna, and went five rounds with Amanda, so...
2: The only problem with that argument is we all know MMA math don't work. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Don't get me wrong. I see where you're at with it, but MMA math don't fucking work.
0: Yeah, they, yeah I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot more fights. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. I'm just saying there's, there's a lot of room for that face of women's MMA debate. <laughs> I,
5: I'm
2: just, I'm just saying, based on um the, that last podcast of the year that I didn't get to make it for, I did call a couple of those fucking crazinesses.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and we gave you credit.
2: <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure, if you look at my notes, I said third-round stoppage for Jones. <laughs> I knew what the fuck was going to happen.
3: So. Almost everything that you said came to fruition on the very last one, 2018. Almost all of them came to fruition. Yeah.
2: Occasionally, I pull a rabbit out of my
3: ass, you know. Yeah. I was. <laughs> I was. I was. I really wanted to get you, to to have you on to see where where you were coming from from the Nunez Cyborg fight because you went for Nunez on that. I was. I like. I really wanted to see where you were coming from. Uh, to get to where you came down to that decision, but man. You were on the money.
2: You know what part of that was? Here, I'll give you the insight, even though it's a week late. Go for it. She didn't have the pressure on her. Okay. All right. There, when she went she in... She still had belt. She had her, belt. And, yeah. she she had her belt, and people were expecting her to lose. If you watch the fights where... She is expected to lose, or is rated as an underdog. She goes in and fucking tears people up. So okay. That was that was a large portion of that, but also, look how hard she fucking hits. She hits a yeah, yeah. cyborg, and she technically weighs less. She got to move up. In fact, she weighs a lot less because I mean, cyborgs walking around at a healthy fucking what one ninety five two hundred when she's
0: not fighting yeah, almost two hundred yeah.
2: Yeah, yep. and it's not that she's fat. She's just fucking
0: yo. She's a beefy – yeah, she's a beefy broad. You know, steroids do that too. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah.
1: Even even if you've done them years ago, you still get benefits of having that muscle that you've gained from – yeah. But, any um, – can I do my top three now? Absolutely. So You're up, brother. My third one was actually one of TJ's, the Aya Quinta and Lee. Um, He basically said everything. The one thing that I liked about Aya Quinta was – Obviously, if we would have won that if we would have won that um that would have definitely been Khabib Lee, cause it would the talk would have been this guy almost almost uh you know went the furthest with could be that's that's what it, and i of drew <coughs> into um w- into his game really it, it was it was more of a fist fight yep. um so that was one of them and then TJ also said two of my up and recover But anyway, I'll add another one. So my third one would then be, um, where is, oh, Jose Aldo, Jeremy Stevens. Because um, it was good to see Jose Aldo win again, him, like, getting later in his career. Even though he's young. He still is young. He's, like, 33 or something. Yeah, you well, he, but he had a
0: long career because he started as a soccer player yeah. and was a pro soccer player for years. And then he had the, the fucking incident where they, he got his fucking face life by a gang and he had to do the recovery. And then he's still, even, even though he's still that young, he still had years and years of mixed martial arts fighting yeah. before he became the UFC Jose Aldo that yeah. we see today. Yeah, he looks
1: 50. <laughs>
0: he <does>. he sure <laughs> does, man. He's aging like milk, but you know, he's still uh, a fairly young guy.
1: Yeah, but that was awesome to see him win against Stevens because Stevens—he's—he's he's one of the scariest fuckers. Yeah, it don't it's matter bad, what weight class. Like after what he did to what he does to everybody, but especially what he did to Evans. Like oh, you yeah. don't want to be underneath him at any point. Um, so that—that that would be my third one. So two would be, um, this is kind of it, all right. It would be the Tyrone Woodley versus Till. And that's because just see, we've seen a lot of people that were undefeated go down this year. They got exposed. And that's just going to help Till. So I think yeah. I like that. And I like Tyron Woodley. Um, somebody has to. Yeah, somebody has to, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, I guess it's a, you know, I'm not a, I kind of like Dana White, I guess. But it's almost like an enemy of my enemies, my friend kind of thing, I guess. Well, to
0: his credit, that's where Tyron got his black belt. Yeah. When he when he choked out Till, as they came into the octagon, he was given his black belt on the spot. And he has said in the interviews after that that the black belt he got for that submission from his his master meant more to him than getting the belt put back around his waist because he already felt like a champion. But when he showed his ability to put that choke through and it showed his his teacher that he had what it took and he got that black belt issued to him, that that was more important to him. So, again, not my favorite guy in the fucking world, but I'll give props where props are due.
1: Yeah. I mean, I liked seeing it was definitely a more enjoyable fight. I think we've seen with, um, with, uh, the karate, uh, what is it? Yeah, Wonder Boy. And then with, um, the other jujitsu, uh, specialist. What the hell? Anyway, he had them two boring fights, but it came back and you've seen that, you know, maybe it's not all him with them boring fights. Like it's, it's, it's a two way dance and, um, you've seen that with Till and Wonderboy. That was a boring fight because that's just Wonderboy fights. It's just, yep. it's very it's dangerous. And, yeah. So then my number one would be, um, Holiday Ortega. So because of what was going on with, um, uh, Max and Max's man, he's something else. That, that fight really showed he's something. And so is Ortega. I mean, he took a fucking beat in hell. Dude, um, I think it showed – like, <clears throat> in my mind, Max is – he's hes a bit punchy. He just talks like that. That's just how he talks now. He's just – he slurs a lot. He repeats himself quite a lot. Um, when he s- hears people laugh at what he says, he'll say it a million times. What planet is this? Oh, my God. How many times did he say that thing, that whole fucking fight thing? He's, I love him to death, but he's a bit punchy, and I think we don't have to really worry about it because he's still – He's smart in the ring. He's, you know, he's going to be all right. But, um, yeah, that was that was also one of my favorite fights this year, too.
2: You know, this is something I can't say about Holloway or Hawaiians in general from the part of the island that he's from. A lot of them do talk similarly like that. So uh, part of that, I think, is where he grew up heritage-wise. I don't think it's that we have all those sorts of fucking worries of way-cutting issues. It's, I. It's definitely, I don't think it's that, because he did, obviously, just fucking find this last one. Hell yeah, I think yeah. there was something else going on there that they just didn't want to tell us about.
0: Yeah. No possibility. Yeah. You're,
3: you're, you're talking about uh, what's his name, repeating his words. Uh, I believe somebody uh, brought up in a conversation that was Talking about like his background and everything, uh, and a, uh, aphasia. Aphasia is like a medical condition that can that can cause stuttering. I have it, where it causes your brain to work faster than your mouth, or your mouth works faster than your brain. Uh, people were talking about that being a thing of why he constantly repeats certain words so much is because he's trying to con- complete his sentence. I I have I have it too. I stutter a lot. And uh, uh, people like certain people in the the journalism field think that it could be something of a medical diagnosis versus anything else. That's something that, 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 that is kind of interesting to think about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's something they mention a lot as well.
1: Yeah. And and it's all automatically, people are going to go to the two worst things either. He just got, not fail or it's weight cut, but it could be just something totally different. I mean,
0: right. in the situation yeah. where a guy gets punched in the head for a living, you're yeah. generally going to go to the first result that would associate with somebody being punched in the head, as mm-hmm. opposed to something that could be a completely unrelated medical condition, like you were saying.
3: Yeah. My, my, like my very first fight in Ohio, I'd start, I stutter and the, the side ring, uh, medic was like, Oh, we need to, Concussion protocol, now I have aphasia. What, what? what's that? Cool, I'm gonna walk oh, away no. now. <laughs>
5: That's
1: crazy.
0: Okay, so I'm gonna run mine down real quick. So before I run my top three, I, I've got an honorable mention list as well here because, like we said, there was just too many fucking good fights in 2018 to only mention three and not at least give a little hat tip to a couple of the others here. So, um, one that, that a couple of you guys did mention was Al versus uh, Kevin Lee. to both uh, TJ and Nick both mentioned that. That was that fight was so fucking monumental for so many fucking reasons. You have to mention that in any list for 2018, as far as I'm concerned. Um, same with. Holloway and Ortega, same with Nunez versus Cyborg. All three of those are on my my honorable mention list here, and I'm glad I was not the only one that mentioned all three of them here. Um, My other three for honorable mention, I would say, was Cowboy versus Mike Perry in Denver for Cowboy's breaking of the most wins in UFC history and for most finishes in the UFC history, simultaneously by defeating Mike Perry, the guy that, Cowboy's own gym, Jackson Wink, chose over Cowboy and essentially ran Cowboy out of his home gym for over a decade to train the new guy to fight him at home, where Cowboy's from. Cowboy comes out and puts on a fucking class on why you don't underestimate somebody. And the look on his face when he Heels mike perry's fucking arm back and then looks back at the cameraman like he's in a fucking gladiatorial combat scene from an old roman movie is beautiful and then as soon as he wins the first thing he does he walks to the side of the cage and he points at his old lady and his grandma and he has his son brought into the fucking ring wearing a bad motherfucker ranch cowboy belt with little boots and earmuffs on he puts his cowboy hat on and he parades his son around the fucking ring and then gives his grandma a kiss that's a fucking monumental moment in 2018 as far as i'm concerned.
5: fucking um, a-
4: right
0: it was. So then you follow that up with another monumental moment of 2018 in my opinion, Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanna Jerjek for the fourth fucking time because they fought in Muay Thai three times already. But this time when they fought in the UFC, it was for the new 125 women's belt and Valentina took that shit without hesitation i have a very strong feeling that valentina shochenko was holding that 125 belt until she decides that she's done with it that was a big portion in the mma side of, or in the women's side of the mma year of 2018's big things that happened and then my last honorable mention that i've got to throw out there because this has set up some big things that are coming in 2019 now is israel adesanyo versus Derek Brunson. I have been screaming from the fucking rooftops about Israel Adesanya since they first announced they brought him into the UFC and they gave him his contract. And every single fucking fight this kid has been in there. He has proved why I've been screaming about him so much. He, like Joe Rogan himself says, looked like he was in the matrix in that fight against Derek Brunson. He was never in any sort of trouble. He was out of the way of everything, and he could almost see the angles. You could watch the gears turning as he would step out and fucking drop on him or counter and pick him apart, step out of the way, lead him to the cage where he wanted him to. It was, it was reminiscent of watching a cat play with a mouse. There was never a point where Derek Brunson had any hope in that fight. And Israel Adesanya, rather than gassing out or going real big and real flashy, stayed precise, stayed measured. And just ended it and turned and walked away. No glitz, no glamour, no fucking highlight reel, just precision and knowledge that he fucking had this. And the fact that they're giving him Anderson Silva next is another reason that I wanted to mention this fucking fight because that kid is somebody that you can't fucking help but keep your eyes on because he is going to make fucking waves like no one before him has in the UFC as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> now for the actual top three. <laughs> the first one that you can't even consider 2018 a fight year without talking about is Connor versus Khabib. The fact that it ended the way it did was both surprising and not surprising to so fucking many oh. people. I, as well as everyone else, had been watching and Connor had been working on so many things, but it was just so fucking apparent in that match that despite how much work he has put in, you can't make up for the difference in levels as far as the fucking wrestling goes against a guy like Khabib if you're a guy like Connor and you spent your whole fucking career working on your striking. There's just too much of a fucking gap, and that was a beautiful example of it, as painful as it was for me as a fan to see that the fucking wrestling level of Khabib was that much higher than the striking level of Conor was when it came to competition in that fucking cage. And as much as it hurt me to fucking watch it go down, it's one of the possibilities that we actually discussed on one of these a while ago that may have been the outcome of that fight. I'm not happy, but you throw a fucking dolly at a bus and sometimes you get choked out for it. <laughs>
3: Or the naked choke's the bitch, man.
2: You know, it, you. It, and it wasn't just the fight that caused havoc in the fucking world. It was the aftermath after the fight. They're still going through that shit.
0: Because well, yeah.
2: people can't keep their fucking shit together.
0: And, and that huh? after scene is, is actually sorry to cut you off. That after scene is, is actually part of the other reason that I had to put this fight on the list. Because that fight not only showed us that Khabib's wrestling and his total MMA ability was greater than connor's undisputably but it also showed that as far as mentality goes at least as far as as I could see here Khabib isn't fucking there yet he might be a great fighter but as far or excuse me he might be a great MMA practitioner but as far as being a fighter goes he's a fucking green behind the ears rookie because as soon as that match was over one he didn't want to let go. They had to break him off of them. Two, he spit on Connor when he fucking stood up. That's bullshit sportsmanship. That's number one bullshit. Fuck you, Khabib. Huh. But then for three, he throws this bitchy little fucking temper tantrum, climbs over the rail, and jumps into the fucking crowd and attacks Dylan Dennis after you just won arguably one of the largest, most eyeball-watched fights in history and you throw it down the drain like that. That almost, to me, has more of an impact and, and a resonance in the fight world in 2018 than the actual fight itself did.
2: Yeah. I was just, pit, to be honest, when I watched that, I was, when that happened, I was fucking honestly disgusted. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong. Both parties are not without blame here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. what do those old Bible thumbers say, ye without sin can throw the first stone? Yep. Neither mother neither one of those motherfuckers should have thrown a stone at all. Yep. Look, Connor is a master of selling a fight and talking trash. He's a sick. He is fucking fantastic at it. The one yep. thing that, that showed me for that you can break Khabib. By A, you get under his skin, because it is very possible. He kept saying those eat up. This no bother me, this no bother me. we have fight. Yeah, yeah. No, that motherfucker bothered you. Otherwise you wouldn't have done the dumb shit you did. And now your ass might not ever fucking fight again. Yep. To be honest. I kind of hope he doesn't because of that shit, cause that they need to put a hard stamp that shit like that is not acceptable in this sport you're already going in there and you're doing that something that a lot of people see is unacceptable don't fucking add fuel to the fire by doing something stupid afterwards
0: yep i agree
2: get the fuck out then the other part of that connor did some shit afterwards too held to the same fucking standard you guys know better. Don't get me wrong. When that dude jumped the fence to start beating on Connor again, I think he had every right in the world to drop that motherfucker and yes, put did. him to sleep. However, you know what? They see it a different way. He shouldn't have been doing shit. It is what it is. But if you guys can't leave to learn to leave the fucking trash talk outside of the ring, that's where that belongs is outside. You don't take the fight outside of the ring. Once it's done, it's done. That should have been the end of it. Fucking you get your hand raised, you set up a rematch, make another fucking six-figure, seven-figure payday, whatever the fuck you're making.
3: <clears throat> I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, after the fight, sit there, shake hands, a good fight. We'll do this again in a couple months. Don't worry. Oh, they didn't even have to shake hands.
0: Yeah, no.
2: They could have flipped each other off. Um, yeah. Told them to kiss the darkest part of my white ass, whatever they wanted to do. They didn't even have yeah. to do that. I'm just saying, don't well, take and, it outside Don't be stupid.
0: And Eve yeah. Edwards was on uh, a Joe Rogan podcast shortly after that, and they were talking about that situation. And he put it one of the best ways that I think I've ever heard that particular situation described. And what he said was, to paraphrase, something along the lines of, Khabib had the most golden ticket opportunity that has ever been presented to a UFC fighter. He literally came in, played it calm and cool as a fucking cucumber during fight week against the most savage psychological ninja the UFC has ever fucking signed. Conor McGregor can and has gotten under the skin of every single person they have ever put in front of him. And up until now has been able to put that to work once he gets in the octagon and Khabib took it all in stride, wore the face of calm, went in, and dominated and beat Conor McGregor. And all he literally had to do was turn around and walk out of that cage. And he would have been the most famous person in fight history because he took down the one that no one ever thought could in a way that no one was ever supposed to be. And he cal- he held that fucking Clint Eastwood fucking pale face standard when he did it. Mm. And instead what he did was he smeared his moment with dog shit.
1: Yeah he had a moment to take the mic and either say Tony Ferguson, Floyd Mayweather, whoever the hell he anybody. wanted to say. Any and he could have said anybody and he took it and he and it's and it's messed up because like two wrongs don't make a right, obviously. But and you know, his thing is like what about the bus? But there is two different standards tell. We kind of expect stuff like that from Connor because we know that's but him. when, when a guy is extremely religious, so much so that he can't fight three months out of the year because of Ramadan, you don't expect that. And that, that's like, you know, something that he should, should have <clears throat> thought agree. a little bit better. Yep.
0: So yeah, clearly we've, we've all got some strong feelings and I, I, I think undeniably that is one of the top three of 2018 that has to be discussed. My second one that, nobody else mentioned and I think bears mentioning for multiple reasons here was Stipe Miochik versus Francis Nganu. because up until this fight every single time we saw Francis Nganu step in that octagon he set someone into fucking orbit and poor poor Alistair Overeem got astrally fucking projected out of this dimension with that uppercut from hell setting this fight up. So as far as everyone had seen, Stipe was a bad motherfucker, but Francis was fucking terrifying with the power and the ability and his striking that he had. And when this fight came through, Vegas odds had Francis Ngannou knocking out Stipe Miochik by a landslide. And some folks who have faith in Stipe clean fucking house when he put this down because Stipe didn't just beat Francis Ngannou. Stipe mentally broke Francis Ngannou. He took the power shots and wrestled the shit out of him. Anytime he thought he was in a good place, Stipe threw him the fuck around and ragdolled him like he was a hollow dummy and just had his way with him, put him down when he wanted to, put him where he wanted to, Struck with him, took his big shots and gave him one back and it broke Francis Ngannou's brain. Not only was that the record that Stipe set for the new number of heavyweight title defenses by winning that fight, but it showed us that not only could Francis be beat, he could be completely fucking broken because his next fight with Derek Lewis was the least amount of strikes thrown in a heavyweight fight in history. Never before has there been a heavyweight fight with that few strikes thrown. And it was very clear that Francis was completely gun-shy and punch-scared the entire match. So it showed that Stipe just fucking decimated the entirety of what Francis and Gano became. And that also turned around and set up the super fight of super fights for this year. Stipe versus DC, which tragically ended with that wrestler slip into the uppercut after three eye pokes that got DC the knockout over Stipe and made him the quote unquote champ champ with an asterisk because daddy's home. But that fight on all levels had such a robust impact in all of the branches that it shook when it went down. That one I feel almost had more of an impact than Stipe versus DC did this year.
2: Yeah, that one definitely did because he, he rode the piss out of him that entire fight he took the shots and then you said i think it was it's was probably about midway through the second round getting towards the end of the second round and you could just see him wilting and breaking at that point yeah, once think- once he got into the third round it was all over all you were doing at that point you were physically taking that man's will his pride his manhood and removing it from him for the world
1: US. to see TG removing US it for the next ability. fight <laughs> he beat him so much he beat him in two fights in a row <laughs> Fuck,
0: yeah he did he whipped his ass so he bad won the, that he yeah. won lost twice in a row
1: <laughs> yeah he, he won <laughs> stipe won the fight with uh, black beast and <laughs> No
0: shit. <laughs> so the final top three fight of 2018 in my opinion here There were literally two that I could not differentiate between the two as far as impact in the world of MMA and in the UFC as an organization. The effect that these two fights had on the overall scale of the things that we talk about here, I couldn't differentiate. So I had to include both of them. The first one we talked a little bit about earlier was Rose Namajunas versus Joanna Jacek two. The solidification of not only the end of the reign of the boogie woman, but of the demonstrating that not only was that first fight not a fluke, but that Joanna, is terrifying as she has been for the last few years, aside from her run-ins with Valentina, was completely beatable in not just her striking, not just her grappling, but her jiu-jitsu and her muay thai as well. Rose clenched with her. Rose kneeled with her. Rose boxed with her. Rose went to the ground with her, and she beat her, and she beat her so bad that she ran Joanna out of the one fifteen division, which was her division, the straw weight queen. She took it on as her fucking name. Rose ran her up to one twenty five, which Joanna or not Joanna, but uh, Valentina shut the door when she got there. But but then Rose has gone on and is now already lined up for another title defense again, Rose has basically stamped her fucking name on that 115 division so hard that it smudged the ink that used to say and Jacek. The other fight that, in my opinion, ties it for that tier of solidification in a division that was unrivaled was TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt 2. TJ versus Cody 1 was fucking insane. The end when TJ stands up and fucking screams in Cody's face gives me goosebumps just talking about it. That was the most pure adrenaline fueled primitive feeling of fucking grr that has ever been demonstrated in an octagon since Robbie Lawler versus uh, uh, the Red Queen when he had his lips split and he spit the fucking blood on the ground. That was pretty cool. But TJ Dillashaw, not just coming back in and showing Cody that he wasn't better than him in any aspects, but showing that he could not only do it again, but do it quicker and more efficiently to solidify any rumors and any fucking doubts about TJ's ability versus Cody's mouth running and lack of results for it. It was just unrealistic. And especially considering the whole thing really came to fruition based off of the way that Cody Garbrandt had handily beat the shit out of Dominick Cruz versus the way that TJ and Dominick Cruz's fight had gone very differently when they fought. And that was being used as the fuel for much of the hype of the original fight. And then you see TJ handle Cody the first time, and there was all the talk of it being a fluke, and anybody can get lucky one time, and TJ the whole fucking time, with that shit eaten grin that you couldn't have paid him to remove doing every bit of press they asked him to, just kept calm and said that it wasn't a fluke and I'm here to prove it and when I'm done, Cody can go back to where the fuck he came from because he won't have a place here anymore. And then he went in and he fucked Cody Garbrandt up and he did it so quickly and so efficiently And so undeniably, I actually rewatched that fight again with my wife last night. And at the end, when they step in to peel T.J. Dillashaw off of Cody Garbrandt, he is quite literally only upright because the fence is behind him. He has fallen back. His arms are completely down. His legs go jello. And he wedges himself at an odd angle against the fence. And you see his neck actually go completely limp and fall against the fence as TJ is going to throw the last shot before they pull him off. And then Cody turned around and said, well, I was, I was okay. Why'd you stop the fight? Nah, son, TJ worked you so hard, your body shut down and you weren't aware that solidified one of the reasons that I, I, at least in my opinion, that they gave TJ the opportunity now to potentially come in and kill the flyweight division with this super fight against Henry Cejudo coming up next weekend
3: (sighs) yeah like uh, uh, so my honorable mentions uh, you meter and uh, Nick both both uh, talked about was uh, TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Carbrant, and the Aldo versus Stevens fight I didn't want to say them because those were both really good fights, but those are uh, a top of my of my picks. I didn't want to say them because I don't want to be that person that makes somebody like, oh shit, well he's I got to pick but I got to pick something else. As we we're talking about earlier, I got a couple extras, so I just went with the, the first three. I went. I, I, I wrote down in my book. Okay. But yeah, those were. Those were some hell of a fight. There,
2: there was so many to choose from this year that had such fantastic things that were happening. Uh, they, I think one of my favorite things watching all year, personally watching fighters, ex- with the exception of one fight, God, I wish I could fucking erase that from my memory, was watching Derek Lewis all year long. With the exception of the Ngannou fight, Yeah. He was fucking fire all year long. I was very pissed off that he took that fight with Cormier on fucking five weeks notice. Yep. I wish he would have had time to cardio the shit out of himself. Like he said at the end of his fight prior to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I need cardio. I'm not ready. He knew it and still took it, which, you know what? I have a feeling they paid him very handsomely to take the fucking fight, and that's probably why he did it, because he always said he's not a fucking MMA star. He's doing this to feed his family. So if the scratch was right... He's fighting. They, I'm telling you, he had an itch. They they scratched it. They they fed him enough to where he, he went for it, even though he knew he wasn't ready.
0: I agree. I completely agree. And that's. I was actually just getting ready to talk about that. I think that one of the main reasons... That that happened was because they, and by they I mean the UFC, whoever's that make the fucking official decisions, backed a dump truck full of fucking cash up to Derek Lewis's Houston house and filled his fucking front yard with it. Because literally, we went from him in the octagon standing there talking to Joe Rogan, and Joe Rogan specifically said, "Do you feel that a title shot is next for you?" And his response was, "Fuck no, I need to take my black ass and go get some fucking cardio." And literally. Six days later, he announced that he's fighting Cormier in three months for the fucking belt. So yeah, the only thing that makes any kind of sense to me, like you said, is that he has always made a point to say he is not a star. He's here to put food on his kid's plate. So the only thing that I can think of, I completely agree with you, is that they just dumped a fucking metric ton of money on this man's yard and said, look, just give it a shot. You'll be okay you know, either way.
2: I think along with that buttload of money, they also gave him a personal ball cooler as well.
1: I would hope so. He he
3: was he was my he was my uh, Derek Lewis was on my my one of the the uh, borderline of honorable mentions with him in the uh, Alexander Volkov fight. That was that, that was definitely one of my honorable mentions too. That was that, that was the fight. He is the he is the
0: epitome of a puncher's chance. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is that as weird as it's gone from you think about almost starting the year out as far as like big fights that were real memorable with Ngannou versus fucking Lewis and the shit show that that turned out to be. And then you see we've got 2019 lined up for Ngannou versus the return of Cain Velasquez and then Lewis versus Junior Dos Santos. So it's almost like the two former giant heavyweight superstars making their return are going to have to both go through both of those two potential stars that have both gotten the shit beat out of them over by the actual current stars.
3: But, but, but you really can't call them stars, but you can't call them an up-and-coming because they are both a force to be reckoned with.
0: Right, right. But as far yeah. as like, fights in the UFC, I'm saying, like, they're, they're yeah. both still – and I, I, Lewis are both yeah. still young as far as, like, fights queued in the UFC. Not overall. Yeah. They both do have a, a semi-legitimate career outside of the UFC that got them there. But I'm just saying, just as far as, as this year and their their UFC actual career is concerned, they're both still relatively new, relatively up-and-comers as far as game goes there. Yeah. But – with the tops of 2018 out of the way that's going to bring us up to our next subject here next weekend is the first ufc event on espn now that the ufc and fox deal is done we move forward into 2019 and 2019 is the year of ESPN whereas all the fight nights would previously have been on Fox Sports 1 and FX 1 they will now be on ESPN and the ESPN streaming service ESPN plus 99 a month as well as fight pass Ugh. that being said this weekend or excuse me this coming weekend is going to be the first event the UFC has put on in 2019 and the first event on ESPN So fingers crossed, everything goes smoothly there. I'm not going to talk a ton about this card because there's not really a ton of great fights on this card, ironically enough. But there is one particular on the early prelims and there are two on the prelims before we get to the main meat and potatoes of this card. The early prelim fight that I want to take a second to talk about here is Dennis Bermudez versus Tay Edwards. Now, Dennis Bermudez is 17-9. and He is... His record is starting to get that hard wobble, leaning towards meh. But he's still always dangerous. But this is another one of those situations where on the other end of that teeter-totter, you've got Tay Edwards, a guy who's 6-2. and He's not great, but he's an up-and-comer. He's still a nobody in UFC. He doesn't have any real big fights behind his name. So this is another one of those situations that the UFC has been doing a lot of lately that we keep calling out. It seems like they're taking that old dog and they're using him as a fucking gatekeeper for one of the new up and coming kids. They're taking a guy who's got a lot of experience, who's got a lot of technique and a lot of ability, but he's starting to get that road mileage on him a little bit. And You can see his, his tenacity is starting to wane just a little bit and they're going to throw him against a kid who's young and he's hungry and he's got a lot to prove because he doesn't have shit to brag about yet as much as I want to go with Dennis Bermudez because he is a legitimate bad motherfucker. And I, I completely think that he still does have some years in him. He's got some fights in him watching some footage on Tay Edwards. I think that this is going to be one of those situations where the old dog they threw out hoping to keep the gate closed is going to get his ass handed to him as the young kid comes running right through and tries to fucking make a name for himself.
2: Cue the gatekeeper music for fucking, that's just, that's the same thing fucking UFC always does. There's a gatekeeper, and that's that middle of the road. You had a good fucking run at one point, and you tailed off, so we're going to set you up as the gatekeeper to all these young up-and-comers. I mean, they, I don't know how long they've tried to do it with Cerrone, who is ironically on the same card, to make him the gatekeeper, but he keeps fucking, fucking, shutting down people were coming through. He's let he's let a couple in. Don't get me wrong, but overall he ain't done yet. No, Bermuda's on the other hand, sorry dude, you've been tailing off for a couple of years now. you were you had a good run at one point, but it's time to think about possibly hanging him up.
3: I mean if if you if you look at another fight on the early prelim, uh well is it the Weinker Sandhagen? Lineker, yeah yeah have you 30 or it 31 and 8 versus 9 and 1 yeah talk about a gatekeeper
0: yeah it's it's another exactly same situation talk
3: about a gatekeeper
0: yeah that one that one i kind of feel like is as mile heavy as Lineker is the problem with Lineker is that they don't call him hands of stone for no fucking reason that little dude even as worn as he's fucking getting he can put anybody's fucking lights out if he catches you with that right shot. So, I mean, as as much as he is a gatekeeper, he's also kind of the schoolyard supervisor because he could hit you with that fucking ruler and put your ass in check real fucking yeah. quick just as easily as you can outrun him.
3: <laughs> yeah, like, when we were, like, b- before we, we, we got this going earlier today, I was looking at the fight night for the Saturday, and I saw that, and I was, instantly just thrown off like dude you're putting a 31 victory versus a 9 and 1 guy what are you doing yep. what what is this that is stupid
0: yep i agree so now we move into the actual prelim card there's two <laughs> fights that i want to talk about here so the first one that i want to talk about much as i don't fucking want to cuz i hate this motherfucker so bad is Joseph Benavidez versus Dennis Ortiz 2. Now, I don't like Joseph Benavidez. I don't like his style. I don't like his fucking personality. I wonder daily how the fuck Megan O'Leary managed to find him interesting enough to marry him. She seems like a great person, and he's about as fun as a wet fucking blanket. But as far as the fights go... He has spent this last week doing press unto himself with ESPN and a couple of other different uh, media, journal, uh, media outlet journalists talking about how not only does he not feel that the flyweight division is not going away regardless of the outcome of Dillashaw versus Cejudo, he went so far as to say that during this last week, He signed a new four-fight contract with the UFC at flyweight. As much as I don't like him, and I definitely hope he gets the shit beat out of him by Dennis Ortiz because he manhandled him the first time, and I think Ortiz is due for a come-up here. I kind of feel like either he's blowing smoke out his ass trying to make that face of the flyweight still a thing, even though we're all kind of anticipating... T.J. Dillashaw, as he so elegantly put it, getting paid a lot of money to kill the division. (laughs) I kind of have to wonder, is cocky and confident as he's being and open as he's being about his new contract obligations being specifically set at 125, is this really just an angle by the UFC to try and hype up the potential of division being killed? Or is this really division possibly being killed, and Benavita is just dragging his fucking heels, and he just signed a four-fight contract, and it doesn't say shit about 125.
3: Now, that, that, that division's not getting killed off. I guarantee it. You know, I'm
2: not one to call somebody a fucking liar, but I'm thinking he's lying. You know what? I'm pretty sure... That when you sign a fight contract, that shit doesn't always say that it's you're going to fight at a specific weight four fucking times. No. Those fight contracts say, yeah, you got four fights. Now, it might say 125 on there. Guess what? We're giving you four fights, but we're going to kill the fucking division. So if you want those four other fights, you're going to have to go to a different weight class. Because that division is no more. That could be a sneaky ass backwards way of fucking getting those guys to stay on contract with them and going. Look, you can't go anywhere because you have these four fights with us.
0: Right.
2: Uh, we're gonna kill the division. So if you want these four fights, eat. or what to get you? you have to go up a weight class, or you're gonna have to fight us to get released.
3: Yeah, I don't think I don't think I don't think that 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 class is gonna get they're going to get torn down like i fight for a company that dana owns so that 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 weight class is the most overly saturated uh weight class in our state in the state of ohio that is the most oversaturated uh, weight class there's no way that 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 weight class is going to get broken off no way
0: and that's that's actually one of the reasons why i specifically wanted to get your opinion on this because I, it's one of the few things that I haven't been able to find much as my Google foo is is finely sharpened I couldn't find a specific contract or a copy of a contract and I'm guessing it's because of the NDAs that come along with it but I couldn't find anything relating to a specific contract similar to what Zufa might use that I could use as an example to say well yes it does say that you fight at this weight class or just says that you get this many fights so I was wondering if maybe you had any inside input on that
3: so My contract for 2019 is uh, it has your weight class listed, but it has a weight class listed for an opportunity to move up. But with that being said, I'm still listed as a phantom weight fighter. Right. So in order for me to move up, I have to make headway into the next weight class. And there's and the amount of people that are in the flyweight class in the UFC, I don't see enough of them making headway into bantam to make to kill off that class. Like there's there's not enough people that can move up that weight that can still be affected, that can still bust ass, and then that entire weight class is completely oversaturated. So you're killing a, a, a class, but you're oversaturating another. And then you're going to want the people that are in that class to move up to continue fighting and competing with people that are real competition. But again, you're oversaturating weight classes. That's not a smart move. You're putting more people to sign for this title fight and that title fight and, and cause drama and all this of other thing. then you're putting too many names in a bucket at once that's that's not how that's not how you operate a business we had the same we i i was just at training but two days ago we were talking about this if they shut the weight class down we would probably shut shut the weight cost down we're only operated by the same people right i don't see it i don't see it happening because we have from what they said Earlier this week, there's 134 people that fight in the flyweight class in just the state of Ohio alone. That's 134 people that have to move up to on weight or drop out of the fucking league. And there's a lot of good
2: fighters Here's, in that class. I understand the oversaturating the, ne- saturating the next fucking weight class up. However, how many fighters are there that walk around two, three weight classes above and drop that weight to get down to that. Yeah. Now, here's the catch. That means any one of those motherfuckers can move up. Yeah. So, and to be honest, it's less strenuous on them. So I don't see it as a problem with them not being able to go up the division. I think just a lot of them don't want to. Yeah, they're comfortable where they're at. Yeah. They're comfortable, with their, you know, they're comfortable. That's fine. I get it. But at the same time, I have this... Strange inkling that they are going to end up killing that division off.
0: Well, and and to that point, I've I've also heard recently on a a couple of the message boards that I watch for little tidbits and rumors and things here. um, There's been a lot more to look. It's been around for a while, but it's been a lot more prevalent lately since we've been coming up on this fight with as much hype as around this fight. Uh, One of the rumors floating around right now is that the reason that they're trying to quote unquote kill off the flyweight division in the UFC is Dana has always said that the flyweight division has never been a draw. Even with somebody as dominant as fucking DJ, it was never enough of a draw. And there's so fucking many more flyweights than there are numbers-wise and any of the other divisions that it's actually a little bit of an impedance trying to put cards together because you constantly have to look out, regardless of the other divisions that you've got, you have multiple fights that you have to make to move the flyweight division along so that it's not getting stagnant because of how many fighters there are. And that one of the things they might be trying to do because of that, and I don't know how feasible it's going to be realistically, but it is an interesting idea, is that when the UFC potentially cuts the flyweights off, that there's going to be some sort of other organization, whether it's a UFC off-branch or whether Golden Pony takes up the fucking reins or if Bellator picks up and decides that they're going to go with it or Ryzen, or 1FC, or any of the other, you know, predominant organizations are going to pick up and specialize in flyweight and atomweight, so that they can keep just the small guys, and that's all the promotion is going to be, so that everyone gets the chance to be that big recognized star, because they're going to be the quote-unquote heavyweights of that organization so that the UFC can focus on their money fights, which everyone knows has never been down in the flyweight division, and they can take their their Cejudo versus Dillashaw, throw it out the window, and then it's Dillashaw and up going forward. But at the same time, those guys aren't getting swept to the side. They're getting their own chance to shine in a different organization setup that's just for them.
3: If, if, I, can, I can see if they if they do shut off Fireway, it'd be towards the end of this year, because they still have a contract to fulfill. So I'd, have to, right. I'd, 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 have, I'd have to say that. It had to be towards the end of this year. And we just got an end of this year, and this it, is already a topic.
2: Right, right. And it's something that we'll see over the next fucking 12 months or so, because we'll know I would definitively I would think by the end of 2019 you will know for sure whether it's going yeah. to stay or whether it's yeah. going
0: to go I
1: agree unless they did hey, yeah it, you know they always talk uh which McCall talks about it all the time um the guy coming in from um one that got traded for DJ
0: Askren
1: yeah Askren's talking about um my recalling names tonight is terrible. <laughs> so um, he's talking about how they do the, um, the, you know, the how they do weight differently over there, how they take your hydration levels or whatever, and essentially that would move everybody up. Yep. So if that happened and they did get rid of a division and it is so oversaturated on, and there still is a lot of people, and they added that one sixty-five. Then everybody would move up, and essentially everybody in one twenty-five would be one thirty-five. One thirty-five would be one forty-five, and so on and so on. And then the one sixty-five would get, you know, filled up with whoever was in one fifty-five, and yeah, so on. So maybe that would work too. But I think that I think that uh, other thing sounds good too. Having a whole other, it would have to be called UFC though. I think because it it would just it would have to carry that name because it just. That's the glory of it, isn't it, to be able to fight in UFC, the best fighters in the world, you know? The the most, I won't say the the
0: one, the most credible one that I've seen recently, their their breakdown or their engineering of it, if you will, was that it was basically going to be, or the ideal goal was that it wouldn't be a UFC per se, but it would be a separate organization that way, you could take the the smaller guys, which are often overlooked in many of the organizations, and have them be able to migrate in and make this a thing of its own for guys from everywhere, from all of the different organizations. Where realistically, all around the world, the little guys, while some of the big names get some praises, little guys never will draw, at least right now, as much attention as a fucking Steep dc C two would, because you could announce that there's a card right now for 4th of July with just DC pay no fucking early prelim no prelim just one fucking fight and that's going to get more eyes on that one fight than the biggest 125 fights you can put all year long combined so, so, you so you're talking
3: around, so you're talking just an, an entire company devoted towards like 135 below
0: yeah exactly like 135 okay, and I can, under for the smaller
3: okay, guys i, I, I can I can get on board with that. That that Actually, I don't think that'd be a bad idea.
0: Because realistically, and not a lot of people know because, again, little guys don't get as much promotion, but if you're a a hardcore fight fan like I tend to be in some situations, there's still organizations that put on quite a few atom weight fights. And those little tiny Mickey Mouse-sized motherfuckers get crazy, man. They're fast as shit. They're technical as all get out. And some of those fights are literally fireworks from the fucking start bell to the close bell. But if you're putting it up against a fucking, you know, Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler for Askren making his debut at 170 in the UFC up against the biggest fucking 125 name you can throw out there right now, you're, you're just not going to hold a candle if you're having to compete against the guys that are beyond what you're able to draw. Unless... You get a whole new thing that's just for these little guys, and they're the star of their own fucking show.
3: I can can appreciate that.
0: Here's the one thing I will say when it comes to the
2: 125 right now. In all theory, the way that the UFC would have this work, right now their biggest draw would be Henry Cejudo because he's the champ. He should be the biggest draw at that weight class. Yeah. Who's going to be that second biggest draw right now at 125? Fucking name him.
1: The, uh, that's the thing, is it was going to be awesome, but they got rid of DJ. Like, they, they, they finally got what they needed. They needed competition with DJ, and then they fucking had to get rid of him, which was – all. it was an awesome trade, but really, that's what they needed. They needed somebody to beat him to make it more interesting. And then all of a sudden, they, he's away, and now it's just Henry Ceuta, which – you know, not a lot of people even know him, really. They're just – and I, lo- I love little guys, but I think it's fucking awesome. Oh, I mean, yeah. I like seeing people get knocked out, but sometimes it's too short. And I, I, I like seeing guys go at it for a long time. And it's, it's fast, and they're very technical, and it's, it's awesome. Well, and
0: that's one of the things that people don't realize. Um, again, I'm not a fan, but I'll give props where props are due. Henry Cejudo is a fucking Olympian. He was a fucking Olympic wrestler. The dude is not a fucking nobody. He didn't walk in off the street and decide one day that he wants to put some fucking gloves and a jockstrap on and go wrestle some dudes in a gym. He's been doing this his whole fucking life at an Olympic level. He is as legit as fucking legit can be. And now not only is he an Olympic wrestler, he's the UFC champion regardless of how he got it. Motherfucker. He's got a UFC belt and a fucking Olympic medal on his resume. I don't have either one of those fucking things, but you know what? My name still draws more than his does in certain circles and I'm a fucking nobody. So there's a promotion problem with the little guys, the way that things exist now. So I can completely understand from the UFC side wanting to do something. And to that point, there's also some rumors going around now that one of the reasons that DJ went to one immediately after that fight with Cejudo was that he was literally just getting fucking tired of playing the UFC game. He's got the most division or the most uh, uh, title defenses in UFC history in any fucking division. He ran that division. So fucking dry. They brought in people from other organizations that were undefeated in their organizations. And he beat the best of them. Like it was a fucking walk in the park on a Saturday afternoon. And then you turn around and you look at what he's going to do now. DJ's a huge fucking gamer. He's almost more into gaming than he is into fighting. But he's also one of the most explosive and fucking just unbelievably talented smaller fighters in the world. And now he's going to Asia, where he's going to be a fucking world-class star like he should be in the Octagon, as well as his fucking gaming platform side of it has gone through the fucking roof because... Now he's got the best of the best. He's got more eyes on his gaming side. His sponsors can actually come back and fully take care of him again because Ryzen or, uh, 1 doesn't give a shit about your sponsors being all over your shit or giving you money like the UFC does. So DJ's going to a place now where he's going to get paid, son, and he's going to get to do whatever the fuck he wants. Whenever the fuck he wants, with Dana White not giving a single word as to what he can or can't do.
3: What company is he is he going to fight for in Japan?
0: He is fighting with one FC. They officially put the the first official trade on the UFC roster ever was Ben Askren for DJ. They traded DJ to one in exchange for Ben Askren.
3: I mean, with that with, with, with with that being said. He's got a fuckload of competition over there.
0: That's that. Well, that's exactly the thing. Is that yeah? Really, who the fuck holds a candle to DJ in the UFC? I get yeah, that has got the fucking belt now. That was a fucking judging decision that ninety nine point nine percent of all fans who saw that fucking fight disagree with. That fight aside, who the fuck else at one twenty five is gonna hold a candle to DJ flying arm barring Ray Borg Johnson? Like, yeah, fuck out of here. <laughs> like, That dude is the baddest of the bad at 125 as far as the UFC and any other real North American organizations are concerned because they tried to pull in outside sources. But then you send him over to Asia where he's got a completely new market that is more directed towards the little guys because there aren't a lot of 265 guys in Japan. There's not a lot of of 145s, 135s. There's a lot of 135s and a lot of 125s and a whole bunch of 105ers. Yeah, Japan is full of little guys that go up and down all over the place and they're super fucking acrobatic. They're super fucking technical. They're super bouncy. They're exciting to watch. And you bring in somebody like DJ who is that style into a market that's developed around that style. I understand why he left. I'm not happy about it because that means in my, as far as I can tell the the quality of the flyweight division in the UFC has definitely dipped significantly now. But on the other end of that, d j has got that fucking willy Wonka golden ticket in his hand right now standing over there and rising yeah
3: now, i remember i remember years ago way back when, when it was the Bantamweight, weight sort of thing, like you didn't get a whole lot of people that would stand up and just go punch for punch. I remember years ago they were all taking you to the ground submission trying just yep. gassy being on the mat yep the years have just really change the bottom two, three weight classes, like in the the heavyweight sort of division. Yeah. You're just standing in that punch or punch.
0: The game is evolving, man. The game is evolving. And if you don't evolve with it, you become Joseph Jona Yeah. <laughs> but moving along here, the other fight that I think we have to talk about here on the prelim card is Honestly, the fight that I'm most excited about for the whole night, main card be damned, this is the fight that I'm watching this card to see. It is Alexander Hernandez versus Cowboy Cerrone. Oh. It, this is another kind of one of those situations where they're, they're kind of throwing that old dog out there as the gatekeeper against the young kid because Alexander Hernandez is 10-1 and 1 overall. I think he's 2-0 and 0 in the UFC. But the kid is not anything to be fucking sneezed at. If you watch his fights, the kid is strong and he's fast and he's got a good fight IQ. He sees shit coming and he makes adjustments on the fly. The kid definitely has potential. But at the same time, you're talking about cowboy fucking Cerrone here. And this man is on the tear of tears. He is on the uphill projection of his career, in my opinion. Not to mention, being the current record holder now, whether he takes this to decision or he chokes this fucking kid out in the first round, a win by any way pushes his record for the most wins in the UFC history up another notch and further out of reach of his competition. Same thing potentially with the most UFC finishes in history. So if for some reason, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, this is what I'm hoping is going to happen, but I'm just saying all things being considered, If Cowboy can choke this kid out or knock this kid the fuck out, which we know he's capable of, he puts two UFC records that are both in his name another notch out of the reach of competition that's nowhere near chasing him right now. Plus, it gives Cowboy that much more credibility to try and make the Conor fight that he's trying to root for right now because Cowboy himself has now officially said it's not what he's asking for but it's something he would like because he knows better than to ask for a fight in the current climate of the fight situation we've got but he has officially stated he would like that fight and if he handles alexander hernandez especially if it's a knockout or a submission so he bumps his records up again it's really going to be hard to try and say that he doesn't deserve this conor mcgregor match to get himself a fucking payday
2: That's exactly. My thoughts on that to a T. I mean, the only one thing that I would add to that, he's been long, 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 long overdue for a big, big
4: fucking payday. I agree. You know what? That man,
2: the fucking record speaks for itself, has put in the work. He's been the fucking company man. They've tried to play him as the gatekeeper, and he has had none of it. He's got put in. He's got put away by some fantastic fighters that have put him down.
0: Yeah, but, there's no easy. There's no simple losses. He's never just had his ass kicked. Anytime Cowboys lost, he lost to somebody who earned their fucking victory over him.
2: That's right, and, and right now. His that's it. Right now, I don't think Alexander Hernandez is gonna do that. But you're look, look, young buck. You definitely have star potential there. But right now is not your time. Not uh not with what's going on with Donald right now. Oh, oh cowboy, he's he's got this.
1: What weight is it? Is it one fifty five? Um it, yep, it is a So this'll be his first yeah. one at one one fifty five. Get back at one fifty five. Yeah. That's cool.
3: Yeah. 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 You said it. You, you said it yourself. I literally just read it. I literally read it in my notes. Records speak for itself. You're talking about Cowboy. He's dangerous on his feet and on the ground. Man, he has he has too much stacked up in a in, in his arsenal to just drop on this kid. He's yeah, too I, much. And don't get me wrong. The kid definitely
2: has potential. But I don't think that this young in his career, that even though his fight IQ is as good as it is, I don't think that that's going to continue to uh, be able to push him through this one. I mean, Donald Theroni has a fantastic fucking fight IQ. He hasn't gotten all those fucking wins and finishes racked up for no goddamn reason.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry about Hope- the dogs went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully he's got that new. Um, you know, he did really look good last fight, and you know he's he seems to have a new attitude. And even though he's that, you know, Cowboy's always been Cowboy, and yeah, he's he's had to fight some some rough guys, but you always got to root for Cowboy. That's how I feel about it. <laughs>
0: Well, and if you've watched his uh, – without a belt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly it. And if you've seen his social media over the last week or two, getting ready to come into this fight, I, I kind of break into a side story here real quick. When the original fallout started to happen, because it wasn't just Mike Perry that caused Cowboy to have a fallout with Jackson Wick, they've been having issues for a long time. Uh, he goes into it real good in detail on the uh, M- MMA – breakdown show with Joe Rogan that he did. Um, but he had been having issues with uh, Greg Jackson and Mike Wigglejohn at Jackson Wink MMA for years on and off, which is part of the reason why he created the BMF, the Bad Motherfucker Ranch, on his property. He built a gym. He built an MMA gym on his property and then he built three sets of dorms so that he could let young up-and-coming fighters literally move in out there homestead style earn your fucking keep work for your food and room and board and then train with world-class fucking athletes in a smart environment under the cowboy eye well throughout all the shit that has erupted with the the mike perry situation being the straw that broke the camel's back he officially broke away he officially left jackson wink he is no longer a jackson wink fighter which is a fucking a hard story unto itself as long as he's been there and helped build what that is now but over the last week you've seen on his social media he has not only been training at the bmf ranch like he does he's also been at greg jackson mma greg jackson's personal gym outside of jackson Wink. so he's doing his own bmf training but he's also back with greg jackson and with some of the higher level dudes who aren't just jackson wink guys he's actually training with some of the crew that has been there for the majority of his career the people that helped mold him into the cowboy that we see today but he's also smart enough to keep his own shit which has clearly been working for him without that jackson wink influence so it's like we're getting this this old flash of the cowboy that everyone first saw and fell in love with years ago, mixed in with this new, more intelligent, more overall outlooking cowboy who has started to put more adaptation into his game and started to fill the holes and really started to become the complete fighter that that fans like me have really always wanted to see him become. And as a result of it, it's starting to get him notoriety. He's getting bigger fights. He's getting more attention, even though he's on the prelims here. This is the fight that a lot of the analysts and a lot of nerds like me who love MMA are going fucking crazy over. Like I said, this is the one that I'm watching this card for. But I think Cowboy is going to clean this kid's clock, man. (laughs) So, that being said, that brings us into the main card. The first fight... On the main card this weekend it's a weird one I don't understand how this is on the main card but cowboy is on the prelim the opening fight for the main card is Glover Tejira versus Ion Kutalaga Kutalaga is another one of those he's real new to MMA he's only had three fights in the UFC and he lost his debut against Jared Cannonier. now I love Jared Canoneer. I've been a fan of his for a long time, but he's not a top tier guy. He's not even close to a top tier guy. So when you come in and you lose against a dude who's meh, it immediately puts a question mark in the back of your head of, is this guy really fucking ready? Is he really on the level? Or did he just get enough luck strung together to get himself the fucking contract and now he's about to fizzle out? That being said, his two fights after that, he won both of in fairly notable fashion. But then you come up against a guy like Glover Tajira, who, to his credit, he is a fucking soldier. He is a shoot-a-box legend. He has got fucking hands, and he has got jiu-jitsu that cannot be underestimated at any point in the fucking fight. He has got a decent fight IQ. But he is a prime example of one of those dudes who, if you were walking around a car lot and you saw the odometer, you would go, hmm, and keep walking right on past without a second consideration. Glover Tejera has got more road miles than everyone else on this fucking card put together. I just realistically can't see him having what it takes to be competitive in the current field very much longer and it seems like this isn't so much one of those situations where the UFC is using an older guy as a gatekeeper to me this seems more like they've got a guy who in his prime was fucking spectacular undeniably spectacular but this ain't his fucking prime no more and the dude is starting to get that one wheel hobbles a little off-center but the car still drives kind of thing and it's, it seems to me like they are throwing Kutalaga the bone here and they're kind of unofficially asking him to just put Tejera down. Fucking drop him, make it definitive so that we can cut him on his fucking contract and let him go. Because realistically, he's fallen so many fucking rungs down the ladder of notoriety in that division. He's fighting a guy who's only had three fights in the UFC and only won two of them and not as a fucking flashy guy. He's getting a lower-tier, lower-ranked, bottom-of-the-barrel newcomer. So it isn't really so much of a gatekeeper situation to me. It seems more of almost like a mercy killing, in my opinion here.
2: I can see that working that way. But at the same time, I don't think Glover's ready to go. I, uh, to be honest... If it's a mercy killing they're looking for, they're putting the wrong person in there against them. Is, I'm pretty sure Glover is going to end up taking it. However, I don't see this as a main card fight. This should have been on the prelims.
1: Yeah, so I've heard we were talking about this, and I think that's what's the matter with the, the lighter divisions too, is I heard Dana White say one time is how the cards are set up is basically through weight. Little guys first, big guys last, and then when there's a title fight, it goes little guys first, big guys last. So title fights are always at the top, obviously. And then underneath that is big guys all the way down to the little guys. Little guys go first. and that, So I think that's how it's working out, which it just seems – it does seem stupid to have Cowboy on the pre-card and not up fighting, at least co-main.
0: Well, and now that you mention it, I, I remember hearing Dana say that as well. And as I'm looking down at the card here, we've got – heavyweights or light heavyweights rather opening the card then 115 women then 125 men then uh heavyweights or no excuse me then light heavyweights then heavyweights then the flyweights for the the title so it's this card's bouncing all over the place
5: (laughs) yeah i don't
2: think they knew what they were doing they, they were wanting to do I think it was just that, oh, shit, we've got to put a card together for our first ESPN deal, and we'll use the super fight, uh, and I'm putting this in quotes because I can't call this a super fight at all. (laughs) Henry Cejudo has no draw at all. TJ Dillashaw, yes, has draw. Cejudo, he can go fuck himself with a big black dildo in front of everybody, and it can be... On pay-per-view, and nobody will buy it because nobody cares enough. Yep. But I I think this was just the idea of put title, title, kind of like they did on the first UFC on Fox, where they put a big fight together. But everything else under it, meh. Yeah. It's the same concept here. It's just that they're looking for that initial draw to kind of see where the waters are at so that way they know – how they have to put cards together moving forward
0: for this. I can see that as well. I can definitely see that. So, like I said, this, this fucking card bounces all over the place. So the next fight on the card, and I do want to take a second to talk about this because this one's going to have interesting ramifications as well. Paige Van Zandt finally makes her fucking return to actually fighting and not just doing UFC press against Rachel Ostovich. Now, these girls are both tiny, tiny, tiny. Paige is 5-2, Rachel is 5-1. These are little girls. Both of them really, really need this win. But aside from both of them really needing this win, not quite to the same degree, but in the same lane, of UFC 232 being less about the fights and more about Jon Jones. In the last couple weeks to a month or so, in the buildup for talks about this card, Rachel Ostovich has been half of the two that have taken more focus away from the fights and have put it on the outside of the octagon events that have happened. And the reason for that being, for those that are uninitiated, is that last year in November, Rachel, yeah, excuse me, Rachel, Ostovich was assaulted by her husband and had to go through the full public domestic abuse situation, the arrest, the fallout afterwards, the public outcry about it. And the reason that it was such a big deal that she's being put on this card is because one of the next fights that we'll talk about for just a split second, because fuck him, is Greg Hardy. Greg Hardy, for those who don't know, is an ex-NFL player, played for the Cowboys most notably and for several other teams until he was released back in 2014 for beating the shit out of his then-at-the-time girlfriend, documented, went to jail for it, not a little incident, big fucking deal, dude beat his lady, dude got arrested, and dude did some fucking time for it. And they put a man who went to jail for beating his wife on the same card two fights after the woman who just got beaten by her, I think it's her husband or ex-husband now because they got divorced. But that is a fucked up combination to put on a card. I don't care how lacking empathy you have, how business oriented you are. And to her credit, Rachel Ostevich has come out in multiple reports, multiple press events during this last week, and she said, and I quote, I didn't even know he was on this card until someone brought it up to me during a press circuit, but let him do his thing. I'm not even going to focus on him. I'm here to worry about my fight. But the fact that that Dana White and Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard were willing to put these two fights on the same card, it gives me a weird feeling here because – I understand that this is the first card of the year this is also the first espn card so there's a lot of feeling out the waters here but at the same time just as a human being looking at this card not as fighters but looking at the people that are involved in this event and seeing that story take such predominant headline status away from the event itself just leaves kind of a acrid taste in the back of my mouth here like i And this is a perfect example of it. We're supposed to be talking about Paige versus Rachel here, but because of what's going on here, we have to take a second to give all of this fucking side story for the people who don't know, because it is playing a factor in the card that's going to go down this weekend. And as much as I hate to say it's the super fight card, because it really isn't, this is a super fight card. They're starting 2019 with a fight hosted by champion versus champion. And that isn't a strong enough reason to catch headlines against these domestic abuse cases that are, are carrying all the weight of this card. And I feel that that's, that's weird, man, because Paige is not a bad fighter. Rachel is not a bad fighter. They're both fucking gorgeous, and that's going to be a very distracting thing to watch for a lot of gentlemen during this fight. But... I, I don't know, I just I want to get you guys' take on this because as much as it is going to be a good fight and they're both good and they're both gorgeous so we're all going to fucking watch the sideline entertainment sideshow value-esque shit like this being the extent that it is do you guys think that this is a, a good pairing? Do you feel like the UFC wasn't really looking at that they were trying to make a card or do you feel like this might have been like a, a sly little see what people say kind of thing? How do you guys feel about this?
1: I hope it was an accident. If they show them two standing next to each other like with a smile, I'll fucking throw up. Because like, that would be disgusting. I don't know. I hope it was an accident.
2: It, to be honest, I hope it was an oversight as well. However, the other side of that, um, Big Daddy Dana has a I don't give a fuck mentality of I don't care what you think, what you're going to think. I'm going to do me because I know what's gotten this business to the point that it's at. One, if it wasn't oversight, I hate to say this, but you should have canceled one of their fights and moved it to the next card. Even though that next card, if I'm not mistaken, is a pay-per-view.
0: No, there's one more.
2: Oh, that's right. There's that's right. There's one more before. Yeah, you've still.
1: got a card every week. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to say,
2: just,
0: there's more than enough cards. Yeah.
2: Just push it back a fucking card or, or move one of those other ones up. Switch them places. This, and of all the places to do this, ESPN, every fucking time an individual in any sport, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's baseball, hockey, fucking curling, the second somebody fucks up and it's sports related, it's going to show. So how does this look for your company going in think, oh, we're gonna put the victim of domestic violence on with a known convicted criminal and Dan Hart or Greg Hardy, fuck you. Because you know what? You are a convicted fucking criminal. You shouldn't even be allowed to do this because Fighting and getting money to fight is a fucking privilege. You lost that the second you went to fucking prison. You should not be doing this. You should count your lucky blessings that there's some dumb fuck who's dumb enough to say, yeah, we'll pay you. And yes, if that means I'm calling fucking Shelby and fucking Big Daddy Dana dumb fucks, so be it. Those kind of people should not be in the sport. The same kind that take it outside of the octagon should not be either
0: i agree and that's that's this is the this is the worst kind because you went to
2: fucking jail
4: for beating for a fucking domestic violence
2: and now you're getting paid to fight what the fuck is wrong with this picture your ass if anything should be going fucking living in a gutter somewhere fighting to get your next fucking meal
0: yep and that's predominantly been what this week because obviously we're not the only fucking mma show in town there are lots of very credible very reputable reporters who have much more access directly to the fighters than we obviously do but there have been several very predominant mma journalists during the last week to two weeks when they've basically come out and cemented their opinion that they're not going to change this card that this is how it's going down that it would have been so fucking simple with all of the fucking cards that they have announced because they've already released the UFC's first half of the year's lineup. There's more than enough cards that this one fight, which has no bearing on anything, he's not a fucking title contender, he's fighting another nobody. There's no reason this fight couldn't have been taken and put on another card.
3: See, so something that, that's super Super interesting about this is, um, I said it earlier, and I also said it on the the last show of 2018. So I fight for a company that Dana owns out of the Midwest of Ohio. Um, on Sunday, there's a fight. We have a card, and for the white the white heavyweight title fight of our. Company is a domestic violence case versus domestic violence case, a father that beat his child versus a child that was beaten by his father. Holy this shit. is super fucking weird that they did this and it's weird because it's a dana white company versus a dana white company This is fucking <laughs> weird man
0: see and that that almost and see, and this is this is one of those reasons why I make a point to mention the Lord and Savior Eddie Bravo in my my spiel when I talk about this fucking show to people, because as much as MMA conspiracy theorists would like to, I for lack of a better term, whitewash the UFC's history of turning a blind eye to situations like this, because. This is not the first time this has happened. And unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say it, I doubt it's going to be the last time that a situation similar to this happens. But to go so far as to now that we've lined up the dots here, we've got the receivee and the issuer of domestic violence in the men and women on the event going on for Brooklyn. And then for your local event, which is also still a fucking Dana-run shit show. Sorry, you know what I mean? It is. It is. We've got a fucking domestic abuse father versus son going against the son from the father here. That's a lot of fucking coincidence for a lot of real similar fucking charges for something that somebody with two seconds of glancing over some fucking paperwork should have caught.
3: And they're six days apart from each other. One is this upcoming Sunday and the one is the next Saturday.
0: Saturday. Yeah, no shit. That's
3: super strange.
0: That's... See, that's one of those I, – I, I instantly, when I hear that, I channel my inner Eddie Bravo, and I just go, look into it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's some weird shit that, that, that's going on, man. It's weird.
0: That's fucking super weird. So uh, we'll move on from that because that's getting weird. Uh, the next fight on the card is Greg fucking Hardy versus Alan Crowder. Fuck Greg Hardy. I don't give a fuck how much fighting talent he has, how much potential he has. I understand the old everybody deserves a second chance situation, and I I completely agree. Greg Hardy, if he is a legitimately changed man and he has done his debt to society, I absolutely believe he does deserve a second chance, just not in the fucking world of violence. You were known as a football player for a game of violence. Then you got arrested. For beating your fucking woman, a charge of violence, where you went to fucking jail to serve your time for it. And now you've been rewarded for serving that time by Dana White, who gave you a fucking paycheck to go back to the world of violence. And I agree completely that everybody does deserve a second chance because accidents happen, people make mistakes, and you shouldn't be held liable for your fuck ups for your entire life. I'm a firm believer in that. People grow, and I understand that. But you don't get to go from the world that created the situation that you put yourself into to that situation back to a different side of that same fucking world and now make your livelihood off of the thing that cost you what you were i don't agree that greg hardy should get a second chance in the world of fighting at least not in america you want to fight take your fucking ass over to ryzen take your ass over to one fc go down to fucking brazil and show those shoot the box boys how much of a big fucking big billy badass you are down there but you don't get to stay where you fucked up. You shit where you ate. So you don't get to play here anymore. I'm sorry. My fucking playground is closed to your ass as far as I'm concerned. That
2: is exactly right. And you know what? The only thing I would add to that, being as this was a violent crime that you did, you did your time for, you paid your debt. I get it. Cool. Go get your second chance elsewhere. This falls under the same concept of people who have felonies with gun violence are not allowed to own guns afterwards. Why? Because that's that same fucking concept. Yep. This should be the same. You should not get a chance to go and make money at something. You just did a crime and didn't get paid. You went to fucking jail for it. What is wrong? You know what? And I'm going to take the blame off of Mr. Hardy for a minute. What the fuck is wrong with Dana? What the fuck was wrong with Shelby? What the fuck is wrong with all of them there in that office that said, oh, this is a fantastic idea. We're going to get a fucking lady beater in here and let him fight men. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm about that because I want to see that man come in there and beat the fucking brakes off of your ass. So that way you can't do it to anyone else. But you shouldn't get paid for it. You should be doing this for free. If you really want the title, do it for free. Because you know what? You don't deserve to get paid for this. In fact, if Alan Crowder does not win this fight, I'm going, I'm just going to, I'm personally going to be fucking just, I'm personally going to cry about that because that's a travesty if he does not win and beat the fucking lady beater. Because you know what? In fact, you know what? I would even put him up against – we could put Craig Hardy in the fucking likes of the the lady man that was in the GameStop. And I bet the lady man in the GameStop, he ain't going to be like that.
5: <laughs>
2: I'm just saying. Uh, a little pop culture for some people in there, now that it's pop culture that it wasn't before. But, you know, <laughs> hey, you guys have seen it. I'm just saying yeah. I hope he gets his break speed off of him so bad that hopefully he fucking retires. In fact, if he wants to break his femur in the process, feel free.
3: Like something that, that's kind of interesting is that we were talking about the whole contract thing earlier. i like there's something uh, a little bit interesting behind the contract that I sign every year. So the only thing that is grounds for – termination of contract is a drug charge not a domestic violence charge not a violence charge not even a gun charge but a drug charge the only thing that completely cuts off a contract for the company I fight for a little bit weird drug charges not violence not beating the shit out of your mom and dad I mean you know here's the worst part of that that
2: you're saying that because it's a UFC daddy dana company that tells me your contract is probably very similar to theirs where yeah, go beat your wife, go beat your dog, go beat your kids we're not gonna fucking fire you for that but if you piss hot for math, we're gonna fucking
3: cut you that's, that's, that's the only fuck. thing that that's the only thing that is grounds for instant termination if you if you are arrested for drugs or if you piss hot for drugs it's the only thing that is grounds for instant termination of contract
2: that's it i'm that's just saying i'm over this shit bag fuck him can we move on shit <laughs>
0: stupid.
2: i agree absolutely
0: absolutely so fuck him moving on to the next fight <laughs> we have a rematch that no one really wanted to see but we're gonna get it anyway because daddy dana's filling this fucking card for the first espn events it is Joseph Benavidez versus Dennis Ortiz to the rematch. Now, hearkening back to what I've already said a couple of times here, I, even if I'm not a fan, I'll give props where props are due. Benavidez beat the shit out of Dennis Ortiz the first time. Ortiz, excuse me. That being said, Dennis Ortiz has done a lot of fucking growing since that match as a fighter stylistically his fight IQ has grown. Do I think he's top tier yet? No. No. He's he's not ready for a top five guy just yet. Do I think he's better than Benavidez is now? Yes. I think Joseph Benavidez has spent more time worrying about his fake tan and his fucking bleach blonde hair and his fucking press appearances than he has keeping his fucking game where it needs to be because if there's one thing that you can count on in the fight world in today's world is that it moves at a quick fucking pace overall the game moves at a quick fucking pace and if you're not ready to run faster than that pace goes so that you can stay a step ahead of everyone else you're going to get left behind and all it takes is losing a step or two from the pack moving along to fall out of a position that you can regain where you used to be because the game is fucking moving forward at a breakneck pace now. So if you want to stay a step ahead of the competition, you got to be ready to run. And it feels like Joseph Benavidez has been that fucking hipster and flip flops with his fucking hair down, wearing sunglasses indoors, slow strolling behind the rest of the fucking pack of the UFC for a good year or two now. And I feel like this is Ortiz's chance to not only reclaim that loss that he got from Benavidez, but really to both show how much he has improved and to show why the spotlight needs to stop getting put on Benavidez to begin with. Granted, in his prime, in the heyday when the little guys were still the stars of the fucking show more than they are now, Benavidez had a name that was worth watching for. That being said, he's not that fucking guy anymore, and his fighting style has demonstrated that very strongly to me for the last couple of years. He just doesn't have the hunger anymore, and I understand that he's bragging about just signing a new four-fight contract, and that's fucking great for him. I'm happy that you can pay your fucking electric bills. That being said, I don't think he's got the drive, and I don't think he's got the ability – to compete with the current atmosphere of the UFC world, and I think that Ortiz has been jogging right along with the fucking pack, and I think he's learned, and I think he's grown enough. I think Ortiz is going to fucking beat Benavidez's ass this weekend.
4: I'll second that notion.
2: He's he's at the end of his rope. I mean, the reason why he's focusing on all of that fucking – media because we're too fucking media just saying that's gonna change your fucking perspective a lot if um person you hang out and talk with and fucking sleep with has that kind of thing they're gonna sway you and don't get me wrong you were a good fighter in your prime now you're well behind the rest of the pack i don't know why you're on the main card
4: i agree so that being said the
0: next fight on the card is another one of those it's not a fight that anyone particularly requested it's not a fight that anyone's particularly looking forward to other than the people involved it is gregor gillespie versus yancy medeiros now I like Yancey. I love the whole Hawaiian 2.0. They're making a fucking rally. They've got several strong fucking contenders. They've got the fucking Bellator women's champ. They've got a couple of other Bellator top ranking guys. They've got fucking Max. They've got several UFC high rankers, Yancey being among those. I just, I feel like this is the UFC equivalent of the movie Entourage. I feel like Max is the fucking star that we have brought out of Hawaii and in being kind to the star, we have let him bring a bunch of his fucking homeboys with because he's always been with them and you know you want your champ to be fucking comfortable and if he's got friends that are as good as him, you want to give them a fucking chance too. But at the same time, as good as Yancey is sometimes, he's inconsistent. And I like Yancey, I wanna see him do well. I think he does have good potential, but he, for, the best way I can describe the way that I see Yancey Medeiros is he is the Hawaiian Nate Diaz. Yes, he's got skill, but he spends more time talking shit and smoking weed than he does fighting. You wanna be a champ, man you do it in the octagon you don't do it behind a microphone and you don't do it behind a joint and I'm not knocking either one of those things but I'm also not trying to become a fucking UFC champion either so I can have my priorities a little fucking scattered I think as good as Yancy Maderos has the potential of being and as good as we've seen him be at times I think this is one of those situations where he's fucking off too much and he's not taking the the privilege of being in the UFC as serious as he needs to be to make it as beneficial as it should be for someone in that position. And I feel like Gregor Gillespie is on the other side of that spectrum where he's still trying to make a name for himself and he's got that fucking visible hunger and he's got the tenacity. There's a fucking fire in that kid's belly that if you're not going to match, you're going to get burnt by. And I think what we're going to see this weekend is, that fire is going to ride Yancy Madero's off into the fucking sunset because I think Gillespie's going to take it.
2: I don't necessarily see it going that way, but it's going to depend on which Yancy, um shows up. And here's the reason behind this. Because I, I honestly think because of his flip-flop, I'm hot, I'm cold, there's there's some fights where he's just fucking on fire. There's some other ones where he going on. Did you even
4: try? But
2: I know you train with fucking Max Holloway, so you're gonna pick up some fantastic things. However, if your discipline is not the same as Max's, you're not going to do well. It depends on what type of uh, what type of fight fighter shows up. Is he going to be the disciplined, I've been training my ass off variety? Or is he still riding high on the hog from Max's win over Ortega? We've been partying our asses off because we know Max don't have to train right now. It's going to depend on that. I'm hoping it's the prior versus the latter of the two. I hope he does show up because if that is the case, it's going to be a fucking hell of a fight.
0: it'll turn it into a fucking war real quick if we get the Yancey Medeiros that we've seen when he's fucking on point.
2: And to be honest, I think this is for him. It may not seem like it right now, but I think this is going to be a turning point for him. He's either going to ride off into the sunset because he gets his ass handed to him, or he's going to make that turn where he goes, I'm fucking on and going to start making a tear. This fight's going to dictate that for him. Uh, but with Gillespie, like you said, he's fucking, he's still got that young fight hunger in him. He's, he's new. He, he's the new brand. So uh,
1: undefeated, yeah.
2: Yep. It's, it's going to be to me that, and that's the other thing is that coming in undefeated for him, is that going to fuck with his mindset at all? Because, you know what, I think that's a lot of this last year when we saw those undefeated fighters going in. That whole, I'm undefeated, I'm untouchable aspect comes in, and it fucks them.
0: Well, and to the other point you made as well, as far as, you know, being the, the training partner of somebody like Max Holloway, we saw how fucking great Max is. And I'm not too fucking proud to admit that I was on the fucking doubt train. I thought that Max had lost a step. Maybe he had fucked his body up too much. I had every confidence in T-City that he was going to take that fucking belt and it was going to be T-City time. And Max 150 fucking percent proved me wrong. But to the same point that Yancey trains with Max and we know how good Max is, just this last fucking card, we had this exact same situation. We had Israel Adesanya, who is one of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet, in my opinion, right now. And his training partner, his go-to guy for years now, Dan Hooker fighting on the car. And Vegas odds, most of the pros, the betting line, everybody said Dan Hooker has fucking got this. It's an easy fucking fight for him. He trains with Israel. We know how bad Israel is. He's going to walk through this. And that did not end well for Dan Hooker. And I know it did not. That kind of sets up, at least in a small sense, the possibility for this same situation to happen here like i get that yancey trains with max and max is a bad motherfucker but guys who train with bad motherfuckers aren't having the greatest of fucking track records right now either
2: yep and i I would like to chalk that all up to say yeah that mma math is going to be right but i honestly have no fucking clue to be honest i would sit because of the hot cold thing that maderos has and I love Yancey. I love his personality. I, I like the way when he's hot, he's fantastic. But Fuck yeah. uh, if, if, he's, if he shows up just fucking, even if he shows up three quarters of what he can do, it'll be a war. But if he's not there, it's going to be Gillespie just taking it out, just purely. And I think, to be honest, I'm going to call this fight now. I think Gillespie stays undefeated. Medeiros is gonna lose the fight. And even and I'm gonna say it this way as well, even if even if he shows up, I don't think I don't think he's gonna take it because I think Gillespie's still a little bit too hungry.
0: I agree. Yeah, Gillespie,
4: I mean
3: uh, got
2: it.
3: uh I mean as both of you said, uh, Yancey comes and goes He's on, he's on top one fight. He's on bottom the other. I think if he comes in and with Gillespie being an undefeated fighter, like me being a fighter, I'd love to be in the UFC. I'd love to be a UFC contender. I think if he really fucking comes into this and on, like, on his game and plays his fucking reach to his advantage, he can do some serious fucking damage here. He has, he has some reach over Gillespie, if, if I'm not wrong.
0: Yeah, I think he's Get got some three, reach overhand. I think he's got almost three inches on it. I think it's like two and three. Yeah, quarters like three to on.
3: three and a half, four inches or something like that. Yeah, it's a
0: if good, he plays, if difference.
3: he, if he comes in even three quarters of the way and he is on top, I think that he could do some serious damage with with his reach advantage if he really pays attention to what he's doing and to what Gillespie is doing. I think he could be real dangerous on this fight. You'd really be dangerous
1: on this fight. Fun fact Gillespie has four triangle arm submissions out of five submissions. Who,
0: yeah, see, and that's that's exactly one of the reasons that, that I think Gillespie is going to take this because. Like we said, I I fucking love Yancey, man. That dude is – he's awesome. He could be a real legitimate fucking star, even just with the fights that he's already had. If he didn't fight again but just kept himself in front of the camera, he would be a notable presence in the UFC that could hang around even just fighting once a fucking year for a good long while because he's a fucking fun dude to watch fight when he's on. He's great in front of a microphone. He's quick-witted. His fight IQ is decent. But if he doesn't show up on top of his fucking game, which we've seen him do several times, you don't stay that popular with the UFC when you lose all the time unless you're as hot as Paige Van Zandt. And Sorry, Yancey, you just ain't that cute, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with the Yancey-Gillespie fight down, that brings us to the main event Of the evening the super fight that no one wanted because the one that we wanted got fucked up with a trade by one FC this fight for the folks that don't know was originally supposed to be and had been in the progress excuse me in the process of being put together for I think two years now for the timing to work out right for Demetrius Johnson who was originally a very hot contender in the 135 division, and dropped down and fucking dominated the 125 division. This was originally supposed to be the super fight of what was originally viewed as the two best in 135. It was supposed to be Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson versus TJ Dillashaw. Then we had the whole Henry Cejudo versus DJ 2 match and the controversy around the decision there. But, Henry got the belt, so Henry became the champion, and as soon as he did so, literally, as soon as they handed him the microphone, the first thing he fucking did was call out DJ Dillashaw for the fight that had been literally years in the making against DJ. I don't agree with the call out to begin with. I think... To make a long story short, I think that if you're going to beat the man, you have to beat the man. If you want to take the belt from a champion, you have to beat him. If it's a split decision, if it's not a clear, unanimous decision, you don't get that fucking belt. If it's not 100% convincing, you beat that guy, but he survived all the rounds, you don't get to take the fucking belt from him. Least of all, from someone who has been undeniably as fucking dominant a reigning champion as has ever been in mixed martial arts, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. That being said, Dana White likes money. So here we are tonight talking about what the culmination of all that time and work falling into what has now become Henry Cejudo, the 125 pound current champion versus TJ Dillashaw, the 135-pound champion, having a super fight at 125 for the 125-pound belt. So while Henry might have called out TJ for the fight that his predecessor was building up, TJ not only accepted the fight but refused to let Henry come up to 135 to show that he is that dominant and that superior to Henry Cejudo T.J. Dillashaw is coming down to 125 to try and take the belt away from Henry Cejudo. Now, like we said earlier, Henry Cejudo is not a slouch. He's not some guy that walked in off the fucking street, slapped on some boxing gloves, and decided he was going to go after him some 12 pounds of gold. He is a legitimate world caliber Olympic wrestler. He also has some striking skills because he's working with some great coaches right now. He also has the 125 belt due to defeating Demetrius Johnson. That being said, Henry Cejudo never held a fucking candle flame to the light that Demetrius Johnson used to shine at 135. That also, in the preparation for what created this fight, at least as far as MMA math goes, and we all know how that works, means that he doesn't hold a fucking candle to T.J. Dillashaw either, but money fights are money fights. T.J. Dillashaw being the prideful bad motherfucker that he is stepped right up and said, well, let's do this. So here we are today. The way that I see this going down, the only way that I think this could possibly go down is going to be T.J. Dillashaw by knockout. I think that Henry Cejudo is going to try early to box and realize real fucking quick that T.J. is much stronger than D.J. was He's much faster than DJ was, and he's much more versatile in his striking and movement than DJ was. I don't know if it's just because of the weight difference or it's just because of the styles differentiating the way that they do, but I feel like Henry's going to come out and try to box to show that he's capable, and it's not going to work well for him. He might survive the first round, but I feel like early into the second, maybe midway through the second, Henry's going to start hitting that wall of frustration and he's going to try and start shooting for takedowns. And old V-shaped T.J. Dillashaw is going to say, nah, bitch, and give him the old cartoon stiff arm. He's going to stuff the takedowns, and then he's going to start putting the real work in. I feel like T.J. takes Henry out late second round, possibly early third, but I'm I'm saying probably late second round by knockout. I think. Henry's gonna try and rely too much on his wrestling and get too cocky about his own striking ability, and TJ is gonna give him the same reality check that Cody Garbrandt has already gotten twice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I feel, I feel the same way. I really, I, I T, TJ, I just think is an accept, He's just fucking awesome. I even, I, I, even respect him for. He's not a likable guy, in, in, in any fucking way. But I like how he takes it and fucking, you know, people call him a snake and he makes fucking Viper T-shirts. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, fucking, He's just, you know, I just like that. Um, and he's not very likable, but he is a fucking, he's amazing. And uh, that would have been an awesome fight, him and DJ. But, and he's a bigger guy. He, he just, yeah. you could see it. You could, Henry Cejudo could say, I can go up to 135 all day, that he's a big 125er. No, TJ's a bigger guy. You could yeah. see, he's a bigger guy. The only – I agree with you
2: saying it's going to go on that way, 100%. In fact, I I would like 10-1 odds it will go that way. The only thing that I see that may change that a little bit, TJ's never fought at 125. So that's an extra 10-pound weight cut. And, and Well, no, I take that back. I think he has. But here's the thing. He's been – fighting at 135 for so long he's not used to that extra 10 pound weight cut that could fuck him a little bit do i think it'll it'll have a huge hindrance on the fight not necessarily but it depends on how he cuts that 10 pounds extra that he's not used to cutting regularly when it comes fight time Uh, because if he's doing if he's not if he hasn't been working on it to maybe cut down 10 pounds of muscle mass over the last How many weights has this been going for since, was that October, September?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Uh, late September, early October, I believe.
2: Yeah, so he's had time. If he's smart, he'll cut about 10 pounds of muscle mass because that's the easiest way to drop that extra 10. Then just go through your normal routine. And 10 pounds of muscle mass is not going to make a huge difference when it comes to what you're already doing. Maybe he hits the weights a little less, just a lot more cardio, whatever the case may be. If he's doing it on a, I'm just going to cut 10 pounds of water weight at the end, that's a bad fucking idea. You're going to have a bad time. Uh, But I I think if he does it the wrong way for that extra 10 he's not used to, that could be a difference where Cejudo might have a small window of opportunity. And I say a small window of opportunity because I don't think it's going to make a fucking difference either way for him. Because to be honest, he's not on the same level. However, uh, that fucking MMA math don't always work, so strange things have happened. I mean, if that small window arises and he decides he's going to walk through him, or if he's smart, he won't try to box with him right away. He will go and try to wrestle fuck the shit out of him, tire him out by forcing him to stuff takedowns or fucking get back up. But I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's going to want to go in there and prove that he can throw leather just as well as
0: TJ, which is bad day. Well, and, and to the point that you were making here, um, I, I believe it's only two fights that TJ has had at 125. The, the vast majority of his career has been at 135. He has had a couple of fights at 125. But because I'm such a fucking fight nerd, I've done quite a bit of fucking research into TJ recently just to try and get a better back view on, on, you know, his overall career, his adjustments that he's made, the the overall arc of his his fighting style here. Over the course of fighting uh, Cody Garbrandt, knowing that the potential for fighting DJ was in the wings, he actually cut down to 125 and then went back up to 35 before both of the Garbrandt fights to prove to himself that not only could he get there, he could get there and perform and he could maintain 125 if he needed to go down to fight Demetrius. Cause the original plan was that DJ was going to come up to 135 to fight him again, but being TJ and as fucking competitive as he is, he has already several times recently cut all the way down to 125, maintained 125, and then let himself go back to 35 to fight Cody twice. So he is, fully capable of getting there he's fully capable of staying there and he's fully capable of performing there which is one of my main fucking checkmark boxes that make me think tj's putting this motherfucker to sleep and if that's
2: what he's been doing what then uh, old oh henry Sudo is uh may as well just pack himself a fucking pillow and a pair of pajamas because he's going to
0: sleep it, it really feels to me like Segudo has bitten off a lot more than he can actually handle. Like his mouth has written himself a check that that tiny little Olympic ass of his ain't going to be able to cash next weekend.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, if if Cejudo is is going to try and stand up and box with this guy, I if he does it more than half the first round, I don't see this coming out of the first round because TJ is a regardless of if he's one thirty five, one twenty five, this kid is dangerous on his feet. He is fucking dangerous.
0: Cody Garbrandt, to his credit, is a Golden Gloves champion. Cody Garbrandt's Uncle Robert was one of the best boxers in his fucking day. He was a legitimate contender. Cody Garbrandt is no slouch with the fucking hands. I don't like that motherfucker in the least bit. Him and his neck tattoos can fuck right off.
3: But I, I appreciate him in the box. I, I yeah. appreciate him in his hands, though. He's got fucking hands, and look what TJ did to a guy who's got a record of having Two fucking times.
0: hands. Tw- yeah, exactly. Twice in a row. The second time, faster and more dominantly than the first time. So it could be a real bad night for Henry if he don't play smart.
3: <laughs> yeah, if he, if he is seriously considering standing up and trying to prove that his boxing skills are up to par with this kid. I honestly, I don't see it coming out of the first fight if he does it more than one, two minutes. I really don't. Because TJ is, he's a force to be reckoned with, with regardless of the weight class. His hands are something to be fucked
0: with.
1: Hell yeah. yeah. And to a point you said about the call out was just not, yeah, I didn't agree with the call out either. And I think where a lot of people get, that wrong is like the first thing somebody will say when they lose and they've held a title for a while is they deserve a rematch right away. And, you know, Cejudo, if he were to go on and lose the title, I'm sure he would expect a rematch. Well, he did. He did. When he
0: lost to to, to DJ the first time, he got on the microphone and said, I want to run that back immediately. I want that to be my next fight. And Dana was like, no, fuck off. Back to the line.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, but you should be the person that if you win a title that you you call out for that rematch. Like if you win a title like that, if it's not a decisive, like you knock the guy out or whatever, you should be the person to say if they want to run that back, let's run it back. If not, you know, we'll see what goes on from there. That you, if you want that same respect later on, if you get beaten, that's, that's how it should work. But that's not what people do. They're always looking for the, ne- the next step up, you know. I completely
0: agree, and and I think actually that's as, as strange of a segue as it is. I think your your point is exactly right there. I think part of the reason that people don't respect Henry Cejudo by and large, and for the vast majority of folks in the MMA community, not just my shit talking self, the vast majority of the folks in the MMA community do not respect Henry Cejudo as a champion. And part of the reason for doing that is that in order to be a champion in the eyes of the people is you have to earn the belt that you get. You have to respect the position that holding that belt means, and you have to defend that belt with pride. That's your championship. You have to hold yourself to the standard of the champion of the status that you are. And Henry Cejudo not only doesn't show himself to be as respectful of a champion as Demetrius was, which set the fucking standard but then he just tried to leapfrog immediately. The second he got that belt slapped around his waist, he wanted to go for another one right away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, they should take a page out of Rose Namajunas' book, and you know, if you're confident that you're the champion, show it again. If you let, let's run it back again, and Damn right, be confident, John Jones. Be confident about it. it let's do it again.
0: Yeah, and, and John Jones is a perfect example because not only did he run it back immediately, but when he came back from this suspension to take alexander gustafson on as his first fight after being off for 15 months the most contested fight john jones has had in his entire career and he's coming back cold 15 months off and to take that fight that's the kind of mentality that people want to see from a champion His outside the octagon shenanigans aside John Jones, as the UFC fighter, is the exact embodiment you want to see of your champion. He came in. He was modest. He didn't talk too much shit, just enough to make his point known. And he took the hardest fucking fight they could have given him for his first fight back. And as soon as he did, and he won that fight, he said, whoever you want to give me next, Dana, give me next. And what did they do? They gave him the number one contender. He didn't say a fucking word about it other than, Looks like you and me are fighting next, Anthony. And he started doing his fucking homework. Yeah. Henry could take a page out of his fucking book as a fighter for goddamn sure. Maybe not on the outside of the ring shit. (laughs) Because As far as championship and and being a true champion in all the terms and and conditions that apply to that position, I think that's a lot of the reason why Henry doesn't get that respect is because he is, you know, it's, it's ironic because a guy who's been on an Olympic platform doesn't seem to understand how to show respect as a champion.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: crazy. But that being said, we have reached the end of our episode for the evening. We have talked about a whole plethora of things and I hope that you viewers and listeners have enjoyed this. So we're going to take this around the room real quick. And then we're going to wrap this up on a work yeah, We're going to let you guys get out of here. So we'll back it around. So RJ, thank you again, brother, for coming and being a part of this. I always appreciate your opinion here. Tell the folks where they can find you. If they want to continue this conversation with you.
3: I mean, one again, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really enjoying doing these little uh, podcasts, little things. I enjoy this. you to look forward to. Uh, if you want to contact me again It is at rj, rj underscore underscore vapes on instagram and then rj vapes on uh youtube uh throw me a dm I'll uh, feel glad to talk to somebody about about just random shit whether it's vaping whether it's uh knives or mma like i talk about some random shit sometimes
0: Hell yeah. for free <laughs> thank you thank you very much again for coming on brother Next going around the room here, Ned's other partner in crime, Mr. Nick Divine. Thank you again for coming, brother. I appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. We had we had a lot of fun. We had like whew, had to be over three hours of fun, right?
0: Yeah, I think we yeah. I think we got just shy of three hours here. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, had fun. And yeah, RJ, nice to meet you. It's the first time I've been on a show with RJ. And um yeah, it was fun you can check me out and dot divine 83 on instagram and youtube and yeah same thing i'm always looking for people in the same circles that could talk mma because there isn't i think there's a lot but it's hard to find it's hard to find a lot of people so especially if you're on my channel at any point or on my instagram just say hey i'm a big mma fan and that would be awesome um other than that everybody have a good weekend happy new year and this year should be fun for mma
0: Hell yeah. So last but most certainly not least, the man that I spend more time bullshitting with during an average week than just about anybody else, the man whose Wednesday night show helped give me the balls to put this show together here, the place where you can catch me Wednesday nights is with this man right here and the shenanigans that we have fun with on Wednesday nights. TJ, Mr. T Vapes, thank you again, brother, for being a part of this. Tell the folks how they can get a hold of you if they want to keep this conversation going. Uh,
2: First and foremost, thanks for having me. Fucking fantastic as always. There's a whole bunch to be said there. There's so much that is left unsaid that we can't say yet that I know is coming, And God, I think it's going to cause an argument that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I'm fucking stoked about that one. Uh, you know which one I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say it right now. Uh, I've been waiting and fucking waiting. Anyhow, uh, you guys can catch me on the YouTube's Golf T Vapes. That's T-E Vapes. You can also catch me on the Instagrizzles, Um, either way, message me. Come hang out with us on Wednesday nights at 9.30 central time. It's a good time. And Nick said it best, 2019 is going to be a fantastic year for MMA as a whole. Just look at everything that's going down. Look what happened last year. It can only get better from here, aside from the shit show that is this card. <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely so ladies and gentlemen i am the meter you can find me on instagram under the meter vapes you can find me on youtube on the meter vapes you can also find me here on the i'm no joe podcast on youtube feel free to message me if you want to keep the conversation going you want to start a conversation about anything other mma related i've always got a minute here and there and i'm always happy to talk Thank you, gentlemen, again for coming on. I always love getting this round table together here because we get all kinds of perspectives to talk about, all sorts of points of view that my dumbass can't come up with on my own. So I appreciate your time most of all, gentlemen. Folks, thank you for tuning in. We're gonna call it all for now. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the I'm No Joe podcast. And just like these gentlemen have said, I am so fucking excited for 2019. Just what we know of that has already been announced is enough to get me as giddy as a schoolgirl, and there's so much more potential for what hasn't been announced yet. So keep your eyes peeled. We are most definitely going to keep these things rolling. I will try and get at least one of these shot for every pay-per-view event time willing, restrictions allowed. We would like to get one of these for every card, but that's going to be a lot with what UFC's got planned for this year, so we'll see, but keep your eyes peeled because I will keep these posted as soon as they go up. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. I am the meter. Remember, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Have a great night, folks.